listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the GGTMC. I'm your host, Samurai, and across the border from me is my good pal, Big Willie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we had some uh, technical issues this morning, but we're good to go now. We're ready to rock. So, all right. So, this week we are talking about two films, uh, actually closer together than I thought they were. Uh, North Dallas 40 from 1979, directed by Ted Kotcheff. Talk about Ted a little bit here and a few, and uh, then Bad Boys, directed by Rick Rosenthal from 1983. I have both dates, so you know I'm on my game today. Yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> 79 right. was a good year, it must be said. Yes, yeah, there we go. <laughs> we talk about 73 enough. <laughs> yes, you don't talk about 79, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get some more 79 films in there. It was, yes. a, it was a good year for cinema, if you go back and look, so... All right, so that is all of that, and uh, let's hear what we've been... Uh, well, you want to talk about uh, the passings uh, recently of a couple more celebrities? Yeah, uh, of course, the big one for us, not to diminish the other one, but from strictly a cinematic standpoint, is, of course, the passing of Dennis Hopper, who, you know, the, I talked with some guys briefly on Facebook about this, the, the term terms icon, legend, that sort of stuff gets thrown around a lot, but Hopper, you know, as someone said... Uh, I think it was Tom from Better in the Dark said, "Forget that he's he's an original, an American original," um, and I think that's true. He's he's just a fascinating person, um, fiercely creative, uh, and it, it really is a shame that he's gone. Uh, I think looking back, it's in retrospect, it's probably a miracle he lasted this long, considering he seemed to have a death wish in the seventies. But yes, you know, like I heard his story about how he there was this thing he did. I don't know if it was called the Ring of Fire or something where. You get in a circle of dynamite and you light them all at the same time or something. And so there's some scientific explanation that because they all go off at the same time, it creates a vacuum that keeps you safe. Yeah, it's the old uh, when people blow themselves up in dynamite. I don't know if you ever heard of that or seen any documentaries on that. There used to be people who would blow themselves up in like coffins or caskets mm-hmm. as a stunt. Like it, like it, uh, like during stock car races or monster truck rallies, people would do this thing. Evidently, yep. if you're in a certain spot when you blow dynamite, you can, uh, yeah, you'll, the vacuum will keep you safe. Although not your ears, you got to make sure you wear earplugs. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't recommend anybody try that. So, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't either. But uh, it's it really is a shame he's gone. We'll be talking more about him at the end of our episode. Yes. Uh, and another one is Gary Coleman, of course, of Different Strokes fame. You know, he did some films, but he really he will be remembered for Different Strokes, which I think for our generation. What you're talking about, Willis, I mean, it became part of uh, common vernacular. Um, I was saddened by his death because I think I feel terrible for him that it seemed like he never had peace in life. He was the butt of a lot of jokes. Uh, mm-hmm. I felt terrible for him that, <clears throat> you know, just this man who who really was, was laughed at a lot and just a poor, poor soul. I really yeah. felt terrible for him. Yeah, I really felt him. sorry for him, too. I mean, his, most, his, his best years, I, although, you know, he might, he might have said different. Seemed to have been when he was young, and it's really a shame. His adult life just seemed like a total wreck. 
just a carnival ride, people ripping him off. I think his own parents, don't quote me, but I think they were real scumbags and, and ripped him off, and he was estranged from them. And Yeah, he made a bunch of money, and they took almost all of it. I think out of all the money he made, he only got like a million dollars. It's it's just a shame he's become kind of like he became like a carnival sideshow for people to laugh at. Um, yeah, a little, really mostly sad. not his fault. Some of it, a little bit of it toward the end. Not maybe not toward the end of his life, but definitely somewhere in there, uh, he has to take a little bit of blame himself. But hey, you know you got to make a buck. You got to make a buck. I mean, you know. Well, he he does, but at the same time, imagine being laughed and pointed at your whole life. You're gonna fucking snap at some point. You're yes. gonna be miserable towards humanity and society for what they've done i'm not excusing his his behavior at any point but i would have killed someone i think a long time <laughs> you know yeah, it's a shame um, it really is a shame i mean i grew up watching gary coleman i mean i love different strokes growing up yeah i wish someone like uh, uh i was gonna say jodorowsky but and that would have been interesting because he liked to use uh vertically challenged people but uh, i was gonna say someone like aronofsky or i wish a filmmaker who kind of could take advantage of him and and the weariness in his his life to maybe get a good performance out of him and add a little luster to him but nonetheless rest in peace uh, to dennis hopper and gary i was gonna say gary oldman gary cooper <laughs> gary coleman gary coleman there we go <laughs> uh you know hopefully they find uh, peace in whatever afterlife there may or may not be so yes yes that is true missed. um okay so what have you been watching not much uh i had a wedding this weekend um car issues, uh, doing some stuff around the house. So I haven't watched that much. Um, I did watch a pretty cool little heist film called The Split. It was released, released in 1969. Uh, it's got Jim Brown, Ernest Borgnine, Gene Hackman, Donald Sutherland, Warren Oates, and a couple others. They basically rip off the L.A. Coliseum during a, is it the Coliseum, I think, during a Rams game. Oh, wow. And, uh, of course, the aftermath, the heist goes smooth. Everything afterwards doesn't go quite as smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some misfires in the back end of the film that I think I, I don't really like the way they handled it. But I think it's a pretty cool little film that is worth checking out. I watched another one of the ESPN 30 for 30s, Small Potatoes Who Killed the USFL, which was, uh, of course, the upstart uh, football league. Uh, Donald Trump kind of ran into the ground. Um, interesting. It was good. I don't think it had the emotional connection for me of the Len Bias one or the Wayne Gretzky one, but still an interesting look at uh, a league that had a lot of talent in it. You know, Jim Kelly, Steve Young, Reggie White. Yeah. Um, I watched a pretty fascinating documentary that one of our listeners, I want to say it was um, shiftless, although I could be wrong, uh, had dec- uh, recommended a long time ago called Soul Power. And it's about the concert in 1974 in Zaire that was done in conjunction with uh, Foreman and Ali's fight. Uh, the Rumble in the Jungle. Um, really fascinating. Um, some of the best stuff. I mean, Bill Withers was really good doing some acoustic stuff in it. Uh, it's really all soul musicians. James Brown working an incredible mustache. Uh, <laughs> nice. Just sweating <laughs> like it's nobody's business. Uh, there's Celia Cruz, B.B. Uh, King. I mean, just really a lot of great music. Uh, but some of the best stuff was when there was a, a Cuban or a Puerto Rican band that was there. And they went into the marketplace and they're doing kind of like a, an impromptu jam session on the drums with some of the local uh, African drummers. And it was really cool to see that. Um, I watched a Stanley Tucci-directed film called Big Night. Uh, yeah. It's about two, two brothers. They own an Italian restaurant. Uh, they do a thing for Louis Prima. Um, this film is good, not great. It felt a bit stagey and first-time filmmaker at times. But mm-hmm. I still think it's pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it. 
Brainstorm, which was a film that my dad recommended to me, uh, starring a young Christopher Walken and uh, Natalie Wood in her last screen role. Mm-hmm. So, about people that uh, it's a science fiction film of sorts, where you know, uh, has the premise of being able to record people's experiences and experience them through this this head device. Yes, things don't go quite go as smooth as uh, <laughs> all those involved would like. Um, watched a DeLeo I'd never seen with Ursula Andress, Woody Strode, and Mark Perel called Loaded Guns. It's a, a kind of a, a com- comedic uh, Eurocrime film where – and it, I can almost see where Tarantino riffed on this a bit for Jackie Brown because uh, Ursula Andress's character – I know as much as it was based on um, the novel uh, Rum Punch, I think there was a little bit of influence here because Tarantino's a big uh, DeLeo fan. Ursula Andress is, is manipulating all sides uh, – a great effect in this film uh it's pretty good uh and that's it that's all i've watched actually still a pretty good week not bad considering all the stuff yeah not bad <clears throat> most of it was front end i think since uh since we last recorded the only ones i really watched were well okay brainstorm and loaded guns that, that's not too it. bad not too bad all right uh okay so i watched a lot i think i got nine in so uh nice. counting count the other two we watched so seven more um, I watched, uh, this is, uh, my wife wanted to watch some movies this weekend. So I watched, uh, Dear John. Uh, yeah, did not like Dear John. Just a little too melancholy for me. Uh, it, it's okay, but it's, it's a very much a cheap invitation of the notebook. And, uh, in that regard. It's also Cassavetes that directed it, right? Uh, Dear John. I don't know who directed Dear John. No, it was, uh, Lassie Hallstrom. Which is oh, one of, seriously. Which is one of the reasons why I watched it, because I thought, well, yeah. Lassie Hallstrom's a good director. I'll, I'll check it out and stuff. But I just, you know, I, I like the, some of the acting in it's good and stuff. It's just a little too little too melodramatic for me, my taste, maybe. I mean, it's really, really heavy on the drama. I always love when our wives, and I think most people can, can kind of echo this sentiment, when they want to watch something and there's something that we as film nerds can glean from it on the hush without them knowing. Like, yeah. for you, it was the angle was Lassie Hallstrom directed it. Yes. You know what I mean? Or like, for me, if my wife wanted to watch that Letters to Juliet, I'm like, yes, Franco Nero. I know. And, uh, <laughs> I've already and, told my wife if she wants to go see Letters to Juliet, I'll go. <laughs> exactly. But I love when we got these down low angles that were kind of working behind the scenes that they just have no clue about. We're dubious film nerds. <laughs> My wife even asked me, she goes, why would you want to see Letters to Juliet? Because I watched Dear John, too, and she's like, do you have a thing for Amanda Seyfried? <laughs> I was like, well, I have a thing for Italian mustachioed actors. <laughs> yeah. I do have a little bit of a thing for Amanda Seyfried. I do think she's kind of cute, but I mean, you know, it does seem like all of a sudden I'm telling her, let's check out these Amanda Seyfried movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you watched that other one, Grace or something, too, or uh, whatever it's called. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called. I watched that one, too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it is true, you know. We are dubious film nerds. We're like, yeah, I'll see. Uh, I'll check that one out. But that's because it's got Franco Nero in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to work angles, man. That's what it's all on the hustle. Uh, oh yes, very interesting. Uh, okay, uh, I also watched uh, Bangkok Dangerous, the Nicolas Cage one. <laughs> it's uh it's not uh, awful, awful. I mean, I guess it's 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 okay for like a uh, breezy entertainment type thing. It's again though, it's a little too serious for its own good. Uh, very non-Hollywood, though, in a lot of ways, which I was kind of surprised by. That's all I'll say. Uh, actually kind of surprised by the back end of the film. So uh, that kind of warmed it up a little bit, but it's still very average. Uh, I watched uh, uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. This is a children's movie. Uh, well, pretty good. I mean, I think it's a pretty good kid's movie. Uh, I found it kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. It's pretty good. 
What made you watch that? Uh, it was on Netflix Instant Watch. My wife and I started watching it together, and then she kind of tuned out, and uh, I just kept going. So it hooked me. It didn't hook her. Should I watch it or look, uh, look for it in a few years with my son? Maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you look for it for years with your son. I don't know if you should uh, go out of your way to see it unless you're really into children's movies. I mean, it's it's got. I think it's got a PG rating, so it's a little grown up in certain aspects, but uh, it's at least it's at least original. Let's put it that way. More so than okay. a lot of children's movies, so I'll give it that. Uh, visually, it looks pretty good too. Um, I watched uh, I watched Leap Year. That's the other one I watched with my wife. Uh, yeah, oh, that was that. Oh, you watched the one I watched, the Irish one. Yes, yes. You know the oh. pro- you know what the big problem with Leap Year is is not only it's not a very good movie at all. You're right, and I think the big problem with it is Amy Adams is is very engrossing, and I, I find her very appealing, and I find her kind of fun and stuff, and she's just not fun enough in this film. And maybe maybe that's me pigeonholing her a little bit. For you know, trying something different, but I find her very appealing, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I kind of lean toward this one. That, again, I had to find a reason to watch it, right? So, you know, I went with my male instincts, which is I think Amy Adams is cute. So yes, uh, the film's you know it's not good. Like I say, some of the acting and it's okay. Uh, it's just it's just not very original, and I just don't think they spend enough time. Kind of well, I mean, I'm talking about this movie way more than I need to. It's very. If if I I don't even know if I would score it. I mean, it's very average to below average. I mean, it's just not. I watch a lot of these romantic comedies, and this was not, this is not a real good one. So, I, I think my, one of my biggest criticisms, and then we'll jump off because you're right. We're spending too much time on leap year. Is I don't think her character was very likable, and as I'm willing to be improbable in the love connection, but this was even more improbable than most. So, yeah, yeah. unlikable female lead, or not unlikable, but you know, you're not charmed by her. Yeah, she's kind of and, a, kind of a bitch. Kind of a bitch, kind of materialistic, shallow, which they're trying to do the, the kind of odd couple thing. But that just combined with the fact that he's not overly likable and it's just so ridiculously improbable that there would be a spark there based on that. Yeah. It's just kind of, you know, a couple of shitty people meeting in Ireland. That's kind of what the movie is. I mean, that's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should be on the cover of the DVD box. But a couple of shitty people meeting in Ireland. Yeah, you know, Samurai of the Gentleman's Guy. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it, I watch a lot of these movies, like I say. So it's not, you know, I was kind of, you know, like this, you know, blah. blah. My wife, uh, I know she kind of liked it a little bit more than me. But yeah, even though I know she didn't really love it either, because all she said was, that's eh, kind of cute. That's all she said. So. That tells me that she didn't really care for it that much. That's her. That's her way of saying, eh, you know, meh. Uh, okay, so I also watched the box, the Richard Kelly film. You know, this is an interesting movie. The first hour is really, really great, and then it really goes somewhere, somewhere else. And it goes into like what I like to call Richard Kelly land, which is like, what the hell? <laughs> and uh, I, I like the film. You know, Richard Kelly's a good storyteller. Uh, you know, Southland Tales uh, marked out of there, but uh, this is a better film than that. Uh, still not as good as Donnie Darko, but I think he's a really good filmmaker, and I still think he's going to make some really good films. Uh, it does feel like an extended episode of like Twilight Zone, like a lot of people have said and stuff, but uh, it's good stuff. Frank Langella's fun in it. Uh, Marston's good. Uh, Diaz isn't bad, although her accent is a little rough. As a Southerner, I have to say she she uh, misses quite a few, but uh, that's just me being picky. She does a pretty good job. Uh, it's a it's a good film. It's uh, worth a watch. I don't know if I'd pursue it, but it's uh, it's pretty good. I liked it. Not bad. Huh. Uh, I also watched uh, Mystery Team. This is a film that I remember Rupert's been talking about forever, and uh, it's kind of a silly little comedy uh, written by the guys that star in the film. And uh, it's kind of like a little independent little comedy about a group of kids that used to be a mystery team growing up, and now they're 
you know, 18, 19 years old and they're still doing it. And everybody's looking at them like they're idiots. Uh, it's pretty funny. It's not bad. It's got some really good dark humor in it. Uh, uh, especially some little one-liners here and there that are really dark. <laughs> Uh, but it, it is pretty funny. I mean, it, it like a lot of comedies, it tries a little too hard, but it's got a little bit of charm to it, uh, which I think I kind of liked. I think it's a little bit more charming than most of these kind of uh, you know comedies that come out nowadays. One thing about comedy nowadays, it seems like the more rude you are, the funnier it quote-unquote is. And uh, I think that that has its own place. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, yeah, I don't see it. It has to be that way all the time. And, you know, there's always the gross-out factor and stuff. And there's a couple gross-out moments in this you can tell that we're – to me, we're kind of pigeonholed in. But other than that, though, I think the charm is in the uh, the independence of the film. It's very much an independent comedy. It's pretty good. Uh, I would recommend checking it out. Uh, I liked it. And last, but certainly not least, <laughs> you're going to love this. I watched uh, Mother of Tears, uh, the Dario Argento film. So good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Are you there? Trust me, ladies and gentlemen, he must be doing something because... Uh, if he if he knows what I'm talking about, he's probably just laughing his ass off right now. No, no, I cannot hear you, Large William. He just uh, skyped me. You're still connected, but I cannot hear you talking. Now he's gonna hang up, and now he's gonna call back. We hope. All right, you there? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you 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 sadly couldn't hear my laughter and my oh my god, you watched fucking Mother of Tears. <laughs> yes. So it's pretty bad, right? Oh, it's pretty bad. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's, it's pretty. Bad. It's pretty fucking bad. <laughs> like the uh, the ghost of uh, uh, what's her name there, Ginger wife, uh, ex wife. Nicolodi, Nicolodi, Nicolodi. Oh yeah, Nicolodi. Yeah. Nicolodi. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there's so much nonsense in this film. The fucking monkey and. <laughs> well, you know, I'm willing. Uh, to, I'm willing to forgive the monkeyness. The monkeyness, the monkey parts of uh, of the film, because you know it's just ridiculous, and I'm willing to go that route, you know, because you know I'm almost at this point with Argento, I'm almost like, okay, the more ridiculous you can be, the more you'll entertain me, because if you're trying to be serious, you you can't do it anymore. So mm-hmm. I'm almost willing to take the monkey and the razor blade, or the monkey and the knife, or whatever it is, and some other aspects of the film. It looks good, it does, but like a lot of Argento's films, man, it just feels disjointed and lost, and some of the acting choices are terrible. Uh, we have another creepy shot of his daughter naked, uh, nude. There's some good brutal, brutal violence, but I mean, when everything else is so loud and dumb and misfires, it sours the whole film. Yeah, it's really a shame. I mean, there's parts of it, like I said, that look good. Uh, there's a couple of good scares, a couple of good set pieces. Again, all these things I've, you know, I've complained about off the air with you about Argento is that you know he has these little moments. But the style and the visual panache and flourish isn't there this time. That's no. the big problem. No, it does feel lazy, even for his standards. It feels like he's just like uh, kind of going through the motions, basically. Mm-hmm. Really, it's really a shame, you know, uh, especially for him because you know he's completing a trilogy that you know a lot of people look up upon and you know look to, and when they talk about him being a master filmmaker and stuff, they talk about that trilogy, and really he kind of shit the bed on the last part of his trilogy, which is kind of a shame. I feel feel bad for him in a way. I have to wonder though, at some point, if Argento's just going to stop making films. I have to wonder the, some of the criticisms he's got in the last ten years. I'd have to wonder if he's just going to stop at some point. <laughs> Even if you're not an Argento fan like I am, would you say, speaking objectively, that uh, Romero has misfired worse with his output in the past five or six years or Argento? Because on the surface, I don't see how Romero's stuff could be worse than what Argento's put out. 
Well, I mean, I, I liked uh, Romero's Bruiser, which is uh, some people don't five like. Five years, though. Sammy. Yeah, yeah. Five, five years. years uh, well, Romero's made some bad missteps, and he's made some bad films. But let me put it this way. I at least enjoyed certain aspects of Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. I had some fun with them. I mean, I watched them all the way through, and I was entertained. They were average to maybe a little bit below average. Mm-hmm. They were not bad, that bad. I mean, Mother of Tears is bad. I mean, I can say this to you because you've seen it too. I mean, that is just bad. Oh, it's if it was someone who'd never made a film, like I would just be slamming it to no end, even more so. And you know, Jello, but see, that's the thing. Jello is a special kind of bad. I mean, I'm okay if he if he makes films that are bad, as long as you know he's like oblivious to how bad they are, that they come off as comedy and stuff. I know it's a shame and kind of an embarrassment for him. And I've heard reports that he says, "Oh yeah, Jello is a comedy," which he never said until audiences started seeing it. And uh, so the, he's kind of hurt his reputation there a little bit because audiences have been laughing at his movie. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I meant to make it a comedy. So, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, that's yeah, you and you and Tommy was so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to say that in retrospect. Right. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I'd have to say Argento's I mean, especially in the last five years, but even more so Argento since like, uh, what would you say, like mid 80s, maybe late 80s uh, on. Stendhal was good, which I think was either 89 or 92, somewhere in there. I didn't mind Sleepless. I know a lot of people don't care for it. After that, it's just been bed shitting. Out. He needs to sleep in like um, like a shower curtain so it'll <laughs> clean the bed better because it's just terrible. Good call. All right, so that is everything I watched. Uh, we're going to take a break and come back and review a movie. Uh, what, what do you want to review first here? Let's do North Dallas 40 first. Okay, sounds good. We'll do North Dallas 40 when we come back. We'll be back right after this. PopSyndicate.com PopSyndicate.com Reviews of all the hottest movies, music, authors, comics, books, and more. PopSyndicate.com Home of the Pop Syndicate message boards and the best media-related podcasts and internet radio in the world. Check it all out at www.popsyndicate.com PopSyndicate.com Again, some more music from, I think, Black Caesar again. So I've kind of had that on the desktop here, so I've been using it a little bit lately. So (laughs) some more good stuff there. Uh, Okay, so our first film today is North Dallas 40 from 1979. Uh, You kind of chose this one, so I'll let you synopsize and we'll get to talking about it. Okay, so North Dallas 40, directed by uh, Canadian, uh, interesting filmography, Ted Gottschiff. Yes. uh, Written by Peter Gent, uh, based on the uh, novel that he wrote. Uh, it says, the semi-fictional account of life as a professional football player, loosely based on the Dallas Cowboys teams of the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Stars Nick Nolte, Mac Davis, Charles Durning, Dale Hedden, The Svensson, John Matuszak, G.D. Spradlin, Dabney Coleman, etc. Go oh, and our boy, Guich Cook. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> Guich Cock. Yes, he's in yeah. there. <laughs> as well as a host of others. So, yeah. what did you think of uh, Guich and the gang? And I know you'd seen this before, as I had. So, yes. 
Let's talk about it. All right. So uh, for those of you uh, talking about Ted Kotcheff, some of you might notice that name. He is from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So, uh, but he does have an interesting filmography. You're right. Uh, Wake and Fright. Um, made, uh, obviously, uh, Rambo. Or, well, no, they call it Rambo, but it's actually First Blood. Uh, but he, he made some interesting films, too. Even recently, well, not too recently, but 1995, he made a fucking direct-to-video uh, Dolph Lundgren movie called The Shooter. So, uh, I mean, he's been all over the map, to say the least. Did the family of one of the Family of Cops movies, so he worked with Bronson. Uh, just quite a bit of stuff. Uncommon Valor, uh, fun with, the original Fun with Dick and Jane, The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, stuff like that. I mean, some some good films in there. Uh, just an interesting filmography. So, But, of course, immediately when I see his name, the first thing that comes to mind is First Blood. <laughs> yeah. And right after that, it's Wake and Fright. But I always forget that he did North Dallas 40. So, I mean, the guy's got a nice little trilogy of films here. And he, he film films with people on the inside refusing to comply with uh, what that 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 segment of society wants them to be. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard some you know I've read some reviews of this and stuff, and some people and even on IMDb here it says uh, one of the genres is comedy. I admit there's some funny moments in this film, but this is a film a football film played for pretty much serious turns. I don't. I mean, there's some funny moments, but I really don't consider it a comedy at all. So. Absolutely not. It is more of a dramatic film. Oh, that's fucking loud. <laughs> that was loud. Jesus. Um, that's Mac Davis. <laughs> I gotta throw this. This is some cunt telemarketer. Hang on. Right. <laughs> Hello. We'll do this on the phone. We'll do it on the show. Sorry. They 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 have the nerve for it to be automated now, motherfuckers. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the way you do it. That's uh that's the way you get around it nowadays. But anyway, we'll get away from the telemarketing and talk about the master of telemarketing, Nick Nolte. Uh, yes. <laughs> you have him call you on there. Would you like to buy some <laughs> some magazines? <laughs> Hard to do a Nick Nolte impersonation. I guess speaks like no other. But anyway, talk about the cast a little bit. Nick Nolte, Mac Davis, famous songwriter, country star, uh, Charles Durning, Bo Svensson, I think, which might be the first time Bo's been on the show other than Kill Bill 2, I believe. It might be, which is surprising. We're both big Svensson fans. So. Yeah, we are. So very interesting. Uh, Matusak's in here. Uh, actually, a pretty good acting role from John Matusak. I forgot how good he was in this movie. He's good. There's maybe one moment where he's not quite that good, but <laughs> yeah. all in all, uh, yeah. he's he's pretty good. You're right. Yes, uh, we got G.D. Spradling. That's the guy that played the head coach. Uh, that's the actor I was telling you about, man. He played a lot of head coaches and sheriffs and stuff in the 70s and 80s. I grew up hating that guy. Yeah, he's he's good though, man. Yeah, he is good. He is good. He's really good. In, like I say, he's really good in a film with a uh, Robbie Benson called One on One. Really good. Uh, Dabney Coleman in there again. You said the the Guich Cock, uh, which I don't really know how to say his name correctly, so we just call him. I just call him Guich Cock. So, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, what quite a cast. I mean, and a lot of other character actors. You got to look uh, a lot of other character actors in there and stuff. Uh, many I could really name many uh, different type of actors, but I'm not going to go into too much. But I think this is. <clears throat> one of the i think this is one of the great sports movies i really do and the reason why that is uh is because i think it really kind of hits on you know the reality of sports i mean this is football football is this is actually before i mean i think the the advances they've done in technology now to protect football players uh you know i'm not saying they're still not sore when they wake up in the morning but uh you know nolte getting out of bed in this uh you know i mean he, he literally is you know like doctors say football players you know it's the equivalent of being in, you know, car wrecks for like, you know, your whole life. I mean, for like, if a football player plays 10, 15 years, I mean, it's like they've been in a car every Sunday. It's like they're in another car wreck. And if anybody's ever been in an automobile accident, you're sore in spots you didn't even know you had. 
after you have a really bad accident. I don't know if you've ever been in an auto accident or not, Lord William. Oh, I've been in quite a few. Uh, well, touch wood, not lately, but I had one where I could stick my pinky in top of my hand. Yeah, uh, I still have pebbles in it, and it, it, it's a, I played sports too. It's a terrible feeling, man. You like you said that that opening scene with Nolte to me is so powerful because the first shot is him sleeping, blood on his pillow. I mean, he's getting out of bed like an eighty-five-year-old man, and this is right at the time before medical medical technology had really caught up, and the rights of the players hadn't reached a point where the union was really strong. So, guys were getting the shit kicked out of them, and were were cattle basically. Yeah. Uh, which is what this film talks about a lot is the price these men pay for the suits. Well, I think actually one character in the movies actually says they're all whores or something. He like says, that. yep. He says, we're all whores. You might as well be the best whore. Yeah. The best paid whore. Yeah. I mean, that's the politics of professional sports at this point in time. And really, you could argue that it's still the same way in some ways. I mean, I'm sure there's certain things that have been, you know, obviously it's probably not as, you know, flamboyant and crazy as it was in the 70s. Um, but I mean, cause baseball has the same history. If you go through the seventies, you'll you know, a lot of cocaine, a lot of, well, hell, if you go through the eighties, you can go through pills. a lot of cocaine, yeah, pills, all kinds of stuff, pain pills, you know, uh, you know, cortisone, you know, it's a legal steroid. I mean, they use to numb pain, you know, but these guys, there's a great moment where, you know, he gets a cortisone shot. One of the other characters gets a cortisone shot and he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to feel pain. Then he ends up fucking himself up more, which is something if you watch a lot of sports, uh, you'll see this, this happens. I mean, people get cortisone shots sometimes and they end up hurting themselves even worse. Because they did, and know. then go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. And then the team cuts them because they've they they're, they're of no use to them. It's just I think that really is the mark of this film is is the commentary on that of this cattle call and also just it pulls back that that pristine sheen that we look at sort of the Greek gods. Can you still hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, the Greek gods in film, it's very unglamorous. I mean, we see Nolte pulling the blood out of his nose. He's a pothead. I mean. It just pulls back that that Superman cape from them to see the man behind or inside the helmet, which is what I love most about this film. Yeah, and what I love most about this film, too, is that, you know, Nick Nolte's character still loves to play the game to play the game. Now, he is not a good person. He still likes to abuse drugs and drinks and smoke cigarettes. Now, now I can actually remember growing up and... Uh, when I was growing up, sports players did smoke cigarettes. Like, you know, you'd see them in the dugout and they'd have a cigarette in their mouth between innings. Or you'd see them on the sidelines and they'd be smoking on the sidelines. <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, yeah. it was a different time, you know. So, uh, you know, it's easy to make fun of it now. But, I mean, that's the way a lot of these guys live. They live like men live. They live nice and hard, you know. I mean, they, they drank a lot. They drank too much. They smoked too much. They, they fucked around too much. So Nolte's character is interesting because, and what I love about his character the most is, is that he's on, he's on both sides of the fence. He's, he's not only is he not a great guy. But he wants to be a better guy, but he he has a hard time reaching that level. To get, I mean, and he has moments where you know he finds this relationship with this girl who I can't remember what her name is, but she always looks like a robot to me. That that actress, uh, Dale Hayden, uh, I think's her name. And yes, she does. She was in a lot of movies and and stuff, and she always looked like a robot to me. Uh, not the most attractive lady, but I mean, you see that he wants to he wants to be a better man, and so you know he gets these moments. Sorry, hang on. I mean, I think you don't mean Dale. I think you mean the other girl. Owen, maybe the one that was going to marry uh, Dabney Coleman. Oh, well, yeah, because I think I think his girlfriend in the film, Charlotte, mm -hmm. was pretty. Yeah, well, she was. She was. Uh, she she she's okay, but for me, she looks like a robot. The other one is. I don't. I didn't even think she was attractive. But the no, other she one, wasn't. She wasn't. She was pretty busted. <laughs> yeah, but the other one is. Uh, she's also a Canadian too. Dale Hayden. Uh, she's Montreal, a Quebecian. Uh, so, but she was in. Uh, 
uh, Cyborg with the, uh, the Van Damme movie and some other stuff. Maybe that's why I kind of get this robotic feel from her. <laughs> <laughs> she was also in a movie called Spermula. So there you go. Oh, I think I've heard of Spermula. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I think that his character is interesting. You know, he wants something else, but he, you know, he he has this deviant behavior too because he's kind of been around it. You know, it's kind of the locker room mentality. And, uh, you know, he's kind of been around and stuff. Now, Mac Davis's character is even interesting, too, because he's on both sides of the fence, too. But he's actually, because he's a quarterback, he's more in the spotlight. He knows how to play the game a little bit more. Absolutely. And that's one of the great things about this. And, you know, one of the things about Mac Davis's character, Seth, being the quarterback is he knows he's more bulletproof. Mm-hmm. He's still performing. And, in fact, he even says to uh, Nick Nolte's character, Philip Elliott, you better learn how to play the game. And I don't mean football. Yeah, uh, because that really becomes one of the themes throughout this. And I, just to jump back to Nolte Street for just a moment, I'm willing to bet you that uh, Mickey Rourke, Rourke watched this for the wrestler because it's kind of that same burned out, beat up, broken, but the flame is still flickering a little bit kind of uh, sports figure. Yeah, yeah, and you, uh, you know, we talk about Nolte a lot, and I've talked about how much I like him as an actor, especially in the '70s and '80s. I mean, the guy was fantastic, and. Uh, I mean, he's a little wacky, uh, don't get me wrong, but some of your greatest actors, I mean, look, Dennis Hopper just passed away. He was a fucking nutcase. I mean... Oskinski. Yeah, some of your greatest actors are a little crazy, and it's like, you know, they couldn't be anything but actors. They really don't have any choice because they're just, you know, they just don't seem like they would function, you know, in society as normal. But there are moments, like uh, the practice they have on the basketball court, you can see the kind of happiness that Nolte has. He's smoking a cigar, He's got his little uh, stove top hat on, a little little kind of hat on, and other man. <laughs> yeah, he's just having a, he's just having a good time, you know. And he yeah. jams his finger there and stuff, which is another painful moment. But uh, I, I think that you know that that's what they're trying to say here. You know, there's there's two different sides to this. There's the game itself, because let's be honest, professional football, as much as it might be professional, it's still it's still we're talking. And my grandfather always used to say this that he doesn't see any reason why grown men should get paid so much to play a kid's game. Yeah, the simple answer is demand, supply and demand. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And, and you know, I mean, I can understand, uh, you know, my grandpa's, uh, you know, his way of looking at it. Because when he was growing up, uh, ballplayers made more money than average people too. But it didn't seem like the divide was as big as it is now because, uh, you know, ballplayers, the, well, the media wasn't there. You didn't have, you know, endorsement deals, all this other stuff. It seemed like ballplayers were, you know, more like Joe Blow, whereas now... You know, ballplayers are, you know, we've raised them to a level of superstar celebrity. Where they're almost can you hear un- me? Yeah, I can hear you. Where Sorry, un- it just it keeps cutting yeah. out, Sammy. Where, they, where it was almost untouched, they're almost untouchable. So it's really, and you're seeing the beginnings of this, I think, in this film. You're seeing the beginnings of the superstar athlete, you know, and all that stuff. So, and Nolte's very old school. I think the dynamics are uh, great on the team. You know, they got the religious guy. They got the redneck. They got the sociopath, Bo Svensson. They got uh, they got them all, and Svensson is fucking. He's very special in this movie. Joe Bob Pretty is a pretty great character for Bo. <laughs> he's great, and I think it's it's a testament to Svensson. I think a lot of times because he did so much Z grade bullshit. Yes, that is fun for its own reasons, but I think we forget that Bo was a great actor. It's strange that he looks a little bit like a, a roided up John C. Riley in this film. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, that aside. He really is convincing and has the physicality to pull off the Joe Bob Pretty role because he's basically the psycho on the team. I mean, he's the animal. I find it as a as a nitpicky football fan that what looked to be like he was a right guard, mm-hmm. that he's the cock of the walk and it wouldn't be like the left tackle or the defensive end or something. But 
nitpickiness aside, and let me actually say, Sammy, that I think for people that watch this film that maybe aren't a sports fan that are thinking, well, it's a sports film, I'm not into sports. The sports is not the focal point here. I think you don't have to have really much familiarity or knowledge of American football to enjoy this film because this is more of a, a character piece and a character study and commentary on business, uh, the business of football as opposed to needing to know the X's and O's. So I want to make sure that people know that they can enjoy this film without being knowledgeable of football. Yes, this is very much more the behind the scenes. This isn't about the game. I mean, there's very little game footage in the movie, actually. Oh, yeah, very little. And, uh, you know, they don't use real teams. Uh, they use, you know, facsimiles of real teams. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not about the game at all. It's about the games that are played in the boardroom, the games that are played in big business. Uh, Dabney Coleman's character, Emmett Hunter, is a real douchebag. Uh, <laughs> and Dabney does, you know, he's one of the great douchebag actors. I mean, he plays douchebag very well. He's got this smugness about him that I've always adored, you know, that he can play the douchebag so well. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, he does a great job in this one. Uh, we, let me also say that, you know, I think Svensson might have gotten a lot of his acting from uh, tips on how to act in this film. Not that Svensson might not be a hellraiser in real life. We understand, I understand that he's actually a very smart man in real life, uh, educated. And everything else, but uh, it seems like he was playing Matusak, and Matusak was playing Svensson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Matusak's character was more the manipulator, mm-hmm. um, a little bit the motivator. I mean, everyone, it seemed to be a bit of a team thing to motivate him, because there's an interesting moment early on when they're at a party, and they're letting him run wild. I mean, he's picking up girls, and I'll get into some of his quotes later on, but he's running wild, and I'm, and uh, Max, Seth Maxwell, the quarterback, says, well, you got to let him do that, because... He yeah. needs to think he's a god, that he's invincible. Come, so come game day, his confidence isn't shaken. And it's just, again, it, it's so interesting that all the stuff that goes into it, the psychological manipulation and, mm-hmm. and everything else, to, to keep these kind of fragile egos in check with where they need to be to be running optimally as a football team. Yeah, and, you know, he, basically Maxwell's got selfish reasons too because he wants to be protected because he protects yeah. him. So, you know, I mean, he don't want to get hurt. And Maxwell's constantly worried about the young up-and-comer. Uh, because he's reached that point in his career where he's like right at the teetering point. You know how these quarterbacks get where they're right at the teetering point where they're, you know, uh, where they've been great and now they're a little bit less than great and they're on their way down. And Maxwell can kind of feel that he's on his way down. He's not really there yet, but he can feel that that he's on his way downhill and he doesn't want to give that up because he loves the lifestyle so much. So mm-hmm. some really good moments there. Um, I found the computer angle interesting. Uh, you know, technology would go on to change sports from this point forward, but you can already see the beginnings of it here with their <laughs> fancy computers. <laughs> yeah, where they're trying to get figure out statistics and probability and stuff. And it seems a bit clunky, but I think we have to look at it in retrospect that the business, again, they're willing to, to be as cutting edge and do anything they can to get a leg up on the other team as possible. So I think you're right. It It is an interesting angle. This is a 31-year-old movie. So to have the computers factor into decisions they make on players, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was a sign of things to come, definitely. Yes, yeah, it definitely was. Um, Also, I would say that, uh, you know, Mac Davis, the way he speaks in this film, it's very much like a good old Kentucky boy would speak. I mean, he says one... My favorite quote of Mac Davis in this film is uh, he's a a one-legged cat burying his shit on a frozen pond. I wrote that down because that is a fantastic... He has a few of these fucking (laughs) great lines. Like you said... Because they're talking about a guy and uh, who is a bit kind of uncomfortable <laughs> in a situation. He says, yeah, he's like a lung- one-legged cat trying to bury shit on a frozen pond. And <laughs> Mac Davis, I think he's, he's from Oklahoma or maybe yeah, from Texas. Yeah. He's from, anyway, he's from the south or southwest. So he's got these kind of folksy kind of uh, anecdotes or, or sayings <laughs> that, that really just work well in the film. Yeah, they do. They really do. Um, 
I've noticed the locker room scene. You know, we get a lot of bare ass shots. Uh, one scene, we get a guy that's obviously na- he's nude except for a towel, but I thought he had a sweater on because uh, this guy was covered in hair. <laughs> oh, that guy! That guy makes Andy Garcia look like a you know like a a freshly waxed uh, woman. Fucking bear, that dude, man. <laughs> that guy. I mean, this guy was a real bear. Yeah, he was thick, thick. I mean. Metal Mikey, I think, would even be envious of uh, yeah. the chest hair swelling in this one. There, there's only a couple of scenes. There's only a couple of moments, I think, in the film that kind of knock it down a little bit for me. And it's, I feel like maybe the confrontational scene between his girlfriend, uh, Charlotte, and him at the trailer seems a little forced. I mean, they're kind of going along. Everything's good. There's this underlying tension that she doesn't like him playing football anymore and all this stuff. But then all of a sudden it just explodes. Now, maybe that's just me being a little nitpicky, but I just felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. Now, I know being a married man, and you know this as well, that tempers can flare quickly. Uh, oh yes this this is no secret to anybody that's been married for any given amount of time uh when the people you love are the people you're going to fight with the most uh, or at least the most passionately let's let's say that um there's a reason for that because you care for them and um it kind of comes out of nowhere it just kind of gets a little crazy and a lot of whack and i felt like that scene's kind of shoehorned in i think they could have done something a little different there to kind of give us the same thing but you know it is what it is it's just a couple moments i feel like that kind of bring it down just a little bit other than that, I really think the film is fantastic. It's it's more about the politics of professional sports than it is about the sports. And I think people, if you haven't checked this out because you're not a sports fan or or uh, you know you're not a football fan, let's say you are a sports fan but you don't hate football. I mean, whatever. Uh, check out the film. I mean, because the film is is more than just a football movie. This is a movie about what these guys go through and what they give up. Because football players give up a lot. I know that they get paid a lot of money. I know that that irritates me sometimes, too, because I go to work every day and I don't get paid as much money as these guys that get to play sports. But, you know, that is what it is. I mean, that's the life they've chosen. That's the life they get. There's nothing I can do about that. What I can say is, though, they do give their bodies to this game that breaks them, both mentally and physically. And if you guys know anything about the history of professional football players, you'll see there's a lot of suicide in there. There's a lot of uh, craziness in there. There's a lot of addiction to drugs. Uh, it's a crazy world. Uh, I'm not saying that the whole league's like that, but I mean, me and Will talk about this because we're both football fans. I mean, there's a lot of these guys out there. I mean, they're still douchebags. There's a lot of them, and and they they get caught up in this craziness that you know this world kind of allows them to get caught up in. And I totally see some of that in this movie as I see in reality. You know, it's like, hey, you know, that's the a good instance. Uh, my, my favorite team's the Steelers. You know, you got Roethlisberger, and I'm not going to get into all that. That's because that's not our show, but. I can see that. I can see that, oh, yeah, let's just keep that quiet because, you know, it's a problem, you know. And Santonio Holmes, who also played for the Steelers, he had the same problem with the domestic dispute. But, you know, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's craziness at such a high level. But these guys are worth so much money to these owners and to the league and everything else that people it's, – it's like the political cover-up. You know what I mean? It's like the JFK Absolutely. thing and all the horse shit that goes with it. And unfortunately – and this is just the reality, and Will and I, like I said, we both love sports – the reality of it is when this much money's involved, you can almost guarantee there's corruption involved somewhere. So Oh yeah. I mean there's no way around it. It's this that's big business and stuff. And you get both angles in this movie. You get the corporate corruption, you get the player corruption, you get everything. You get the coach corruption, you get everything in this film. And I think that's why this make this makes it it the quote one of the user reviews says best football movie ever. It's arguably one of the best football movies ever, I would say. So that that's all I got to say about it. Let's see what you got to say. It might very well be the best. It's it's definitely in the conversation. I really like Friday Night Lights a lot. It's interesting because I think you see the, it's it's very you know I'd like to find and I'm sure there is one. I'm sure I've seen it. 
where you could complete the kind of cynical football trilogy. Friday Night Lights is the high school version. Mm-hmm. Then you get the college version. And I don't want to say the program with Wynarski lying in the middle of the fucking road as a daredevil. you know. But truly, <laughs> the, the rock-solid college football film. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, cynical. I mean, the, the program is not a good film, but it has some good points. It makes some good points. It does. No, it absolutely does. Um, and then this one being the kind of pro version of it. So, yeah, yeah this is... Uh, sorry, were you done? You, were you... Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, it's... I'm okay. Done. I'm good. <laughs> um... But yeah, no, this this is definitely one of the, the best football movies. And I think one thing you say that's great is if you're a sports fan and you don't like football, like you said, look at this as a backdrop for sports. The pains the basketball players go through, or hockey, or foot, like Amer- uh, English or European football, or yeah. baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, These are themes that run through sports. The sacrifice by the individual uh, in the name of the team and how that's encouraged and, right. and uh, the cattle, you know, they're treated like cattle a lot. And like you said, don't get us wrong. We both work long hours to provide for our families. And I'd, I'd, if I could do what they did, I would be happy to do it for that money too. But it doesn't mean we should uh, just shirk off the price these men pay. Earl Campbell, if you, if you look up U2, you look up the name Earl Campbell. Uh, he was a football player. He was literally a human battering ram. This man was one of the most impressive physical specimens I've ever seen. He would run over men. He played for the Houston Oilers mm-hmm. uh, in the 70s. You see this man now and he's in a wheelchair. He cannot walk. I mean, it is just tragic to see someone who had the height of physicality uh, crumble to to a fragile, fragile old man. But yeah, the human body is not made uh, for football. It's no. not made for that. And you could make the same argument for games like rugby, hockey, uh, you know, any sport. You can make the same argument. The human body is not made for these high-impact sports like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we touched on a lot of this stuff early on together, kind of going back and forth. But the thing about this film, and you can really feel that it's really well-written. It seems very real, and that's because it is real yes. uh, to a degree. <laughs> yes. Uh, it feels very natural. A lot of times, you know, when you get movies, it feels forced. It feels fake or it feels sensational for the sake of sensationalism in film. You don't get that with this, which uh, which I, of course, enjoy. I do have to mention some of the great quotes uh, in the film. There's, there's a fantastic line that uh, Svensson's character says, because they're at a party and everything's running wild. Mm-hmm. And he grabs this woman and he says, I love your legs. Because there's feet at one end and, and the pussy at the other. Yeah. It's just He's got a lot of these kind of yeah. wild he, ha- lines. he has no tact whatsoever. He is a, he is a adult child to the highest order. Oh. And actually, maybe and- even a retarded adult child in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, he really is. He and everyone lets him do this because he he kind of seems like he's the again kind of odd from a nitpicky standpoint that the right guard is yeah is the, your anchor of your line. Usually it would be the left tackle or right tackle, but um, nonetheless they let him kind of have his way. So he feels like a god and he can do what he wants and wants and stuff. And, and he's really running wild at this party. Um, and so that's well, the, let, you know, let, me, really, let me let me say, Large William, that you know a party's out of control when the TV goes in the pool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, you can see that Svensson is gorilla pressing women, and it's just, you know, that's weird. The films this week had two things in common there was gorilla presses to background <laughs> characters, and there was a lot, there was RC Cola mentioned in both films. Yes, yes. <laughs> which is very strange. Um, <laughs> the business side is very evident early on because we can see that for the, I love that. Thing when Nolte's character comes into the uh, 
the, it's like a complex. It's not the football operations. It's the whole the owner's complex where he runs all of his businesses. And he's got this tree where every branch is a different business, and the top of the tree is the football team. And you can really see the business side because the owner's office is right down the hall from the coach. So you can kind of see that it's it's not about just football. It's, yeah, you it's don't. Business. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but there's the, the great moment, uh, that great douchebag moment with Dabney Coleman and the owners played by Steve Forrest, and uh, and uh, you know there's also another actor in there. Uh, fuck, I can't remember his name. But there's another character actor, and there's been another movie we covered. Um, either way, uh, you watch that scene, and uh, you see everything that we're talking about, and I don't want to give anything away because that would be just unfair but for anybody that hasn't seen the movie but you know the way they talk about you know another individual being in the same spot as this individual and stuff you can see the politics of professional sports all in that scene oh totally and totally. Uh, i don't want to give it away because i don't i'm afraid somebody might not have seen it so i don't want to give it away because it's a nice kind of climactic moment in the film but uh yeah you can totally see it there it's all in that one scene it's a really good scene yeah there's a lot of really good scenes in this film and um G.D. Spradlin, uh, who plays the coach B.A., I think he's the right mix of douchebag and intense uh, mm-hmm. as the coach. He, he he seems like the kind of coach that intentionally makes a distinction between himself and his players. You get the term as sports fans, you hear the term a lot, players coach. He wasn't a players coach. Yeah. He believed that there was a hierarchy and he was on top of the players, which a lot of coaches believe. And I guess to a degree you have to, but he made a very clear distinction to the point where you can see one moment he literally has a look of shame on his face because he has to stoop down to uh, Nolte's level to ask him a favor, and he, you know, from his standpoint, he's like, I, I, then, you know, I actually, he just feels ashamed. You can tell because he kind of diverts his eyes away from Nolte when he's asking him. Yeah, yeah, it's a really kind of great moment, and uh, I can't believe that actor. He's still around. He's born nineteen twenty. He's still rocking and rolling. I remember him as the the cunty. Uh, the really arrogant uh, politician in Godfather Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Senator, uh, what was his name? Uh, Senator Senator Geary, I think, was his name. He really gives it, but he he gets it back quite nicely, thankfully. Yes. <laughs> um, I really like the the interesting subplots uh, within the film. The young quarterback nipping at Maxwell's heels, the divisions within the team, and I think there's a distinct division with race, which is kind of not really. Uh, clearly discussed in the film because it focuses a lot on Elliot uh, Philip Phil Elliot uh, Nolte's character but it's kind of uh, referred to uh, we see you know just a lot of the divisions by position etc so I really like that yeah yeah also what's uh, really good is the um, there's a scene where Mac Davis talks about going him and the other quarterback the religious quarterback going to a party and people wanting people to do things for him you know kind of like this Roman uh, kind of, you know, excess. And uh, they throw Vaseline at him, so we can only imagine what might have happened to this uh, religious well, quarterback. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, he makes him a pink poontang, which is Maxwell's specialty drink, and there's talk of the weird part with the crinkle D's, and I'll let you see that scene unfold because it's one of the few comedic scenes in the film that works well. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of comedy in the film. Some of it works well. There's a moment with Svensson trying to find his locker that I kind of smacked my forehead that I thought was stupid. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was kind of seemed like it was put in for like, oh, we've got to put one in for the crowd. Um, but but this is a really funny moment where, yeah, the, the Roman excess that Maxwell – uh, gets the the younger quarterback into uh, whether you know Al <laughs> and him are recounting this story is really good. Yeah. Um, 
I like the moment with uh, one of the character, one, of, one of the background characters gets cut from the team, and all you see is the name slide out of the locker spot, and that's all you need. I like that there wasn't this big speech about why you did this and da 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 da. That's all you need, and that was that's somber and serious enough. That that's another thing about professional sports. I think people overlook, or sports in general, but professional sports in particular. These guys are out there making a living, and their lives and their careers are literally more fickle than any other job you can imagine. I mean, literally. They have a bad couple of weeks, and they could be out of a job. Now, well, that's yeah. the, there's there's some good things. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I tease my wife about this all the time. Sport, you know, being like a coach in sports is one of the few jobs I know of where you can get fired and then get a raise and get another job. Yeah, but, I know. But at the same time, hey, come in. No. Sorry, I keep talking. <laughs> Oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. <laughs> new, new sandals. All right. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, sorry, Sammy. Go ahead. No, that, my but, wife's just joint trying on his shoes for me. No, no problem. Uh, the um, yeah, I think that you know the the the, the thing there is the the huh? kind of stress these guys are under to always perform, and the, you know these characters are a total example of that he gets shots, he gets everything done just so he can hang in there because he knows he could be cut at any moment. Well, especially the guys on the bubble because it becomes for them that if they're hurt and it's by no fault of theirs. They can get cut because they're they're looked at, they're looked at as soft. Yes, like Delma, they're always rolling their eyes about Delma being soft and not being a team player, and really it's because this guy doesn't want to put needles in, and he he's he's um, uh, he's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not dignified. Um, his his argument is is certainly warranted later on with what happens to him, but it's of no solace to him because of what happens. Right. But I think, like you said, these guys in the bubble, especially, it, it's really a, it's a testament to, you know, what what are they going to do? The uncertainty that comes with that. Are they going to be out of the league? These guys haven't invested in anything else. They've put you know, their whole lives into playing football. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. Um, and they talk about the pills and then the shots and the needles and stuff, which I think uh, I'm getting water dumped on my arm. Uh, <laughs> Which I think is, uh, you know, it's, it's what they put their bodies through, like we keep talking about, is, is really uh, a testament to their dedication as men. But sometimes it gets overlooked conveniently. It's like, what have you done for me lately? Is always the mantra with the, the owners and the coaches. Yeah. Um, I like the cynical thing with Mac. You know, the quarterback's supposed to be the knight and, you know, the kind of white knight on a white steed. Um, and he talked about going to, uh, no, don't touch those. That's my mixer. Um, you, you know, I gave my usual, I'm not going to swear because my son's in the room. I gave my usual uh, BS, uh, football and playing with character and stuff. Yes. And yes. I just, again, I just, I love the cynicism and pulling back that kind of leave it to beaver mentality and the naivety we all had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, forward. that's the thing. I mean, this is a look behind the scenes. And, you know, we know that it's pretty legit because it comes from someone who's been there. So. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of disturbs you a little bit. I remember ESPN had all that trouble with that TV show they had. Remember that? Playmakers, yep. Yeah, and they had all that trouble, but, and the NFL was really pissed off. Now, the NFL, for those who don't know, they might be from outside of the country or for the not be football fans, they're very big on their image. Protecting the shield. Yeah, they're very big on that, which is why sometimes for some fans it gets so frustrating when you see these you know, guys like Lawrence Taylor and, and Ben Roethlisberger and these guys doing the stuff that they do. It drives people crazy. The only difference between Roethlisberger and some of these other guys, and this is not all football players, so don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not pigeonholing every sports athlete. I'm just saying the only difference is, is those idiots got caught. Is yep. the, the diff- that goes on all the time because these guys have tons of money thrown at there? them. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Can you hear me? 
Hopefully you can hear me. Can you hear me, Will? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he just hung up. There he goes. <laughs> and he called back. There we go. You back? Okay, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you might need to update Skype when you get off the thing today. <laughs> yes. Uh, but either way, the only difference is those guys get caught. And, you know, that is that is what it is. But these guys are, you know, they're put in a bad situation because they're not in a bad situation. I don't know if that's the right word. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. But you're 25 years old. You're given multiple millions of dollars and basically the rights to the funhouse. And oh, exactly. you can either go one way with that or you can go the other way. And unfortunately, it goes both ways. Some people, you know, go through their whole careers, don't get in any trouble just because of the way the person is. Some people, unfortunately, money corrupts them. Uh, power corrupts them. I mean, I've, I've said it before on the show. Absolute power corrupts absolute. I mean, it's it's no secret that these guys get corrupted very easily by money. And we talked about that earlier. So I find it very interesting, the angles and the inside stuff that's going on here, because we're seeing a lot of it nowadays. And, and you know, people argue nowadays that the morals and professional sports have really gone away uh maybe but i don't know if they were ever there to begin with so yeah exactly exactly um i like that the love story in this wasn't like the main focal point you know it was it was maybe the third or fourth most important kind of subplot in the film and i'm glad they went that route as opposed to making this about um phil and uh charlotte yes yes you know I, i'm just the thing about it lost itself a little bit in that and there was no need for it um there's a great moment. You can kind of see the racial tension with Joe Bob and one of the black defensive linemen. They get into it uh, in practice or fighting, which wasn't a very convincing fight. I have to say it looked kind of clumsy, but <laughs> nonetheless, uh, the moment right before they go out to play Chicago, they pound fists and they kind of talk. And, it, it, and I love that because it kind of gives it that mentality that there may be infighting. You may hate that guy, but you know what? On game day, he may be an asshole, but he's our asshole. Yes. Yes. And I, I really like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also like that uh, Joe Bob and OW, they're not good guys. Again, this is pulling away the glamour and that sentiment towards football and towards sports and, and the heroic aspect because these two intentionally break an opposing player's leg. And yeah, the only. You, you, go ahead. Sorry, go go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I, I didn't want to cut your thought off. Uh, I was going to say, you get the feeling it's more for pride and the fact that he's beat them like a drum all day long than it was for team success. But you also get the sense from Svensson, though, that he doesn't feel completely right doing that. You're right. And you're right. He does show a little bit of, uh, I think, because once it's done, he can see the aftermath. But then the Matusek character just kind of says, don't worry about it. But um, yeah, because Matusek's right. character is more of like Joe Bob's handler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he is actually a football player because Matuzak's character doesn't really get a whole lot of great moments. And those of you who know John Matuzak, you know he's a really good football player. You know he was a wild man, crazy guy, very aggressive. Uh, you know steroid induced, whatever you can say, whatever you want to say about him. But I mean he's a wild man, and that's why I say Joe. Uh, it seems like Svensson was playing Matusak, and Matusak mm -hmm. may have been he may have had a handler. It seems like he had some experience being handled by another player. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and their douchebaggery yeah. is in in perfect in perfect view when they come into that fucking locker room in fur coats. <laughs> oh yeah, full like full length fur coats. <laughs> no, totally. Uh, one more note I have. I, it's right at the end. There's a great moment at the end of the film. I don't want to say too much about it, but Nolte just says we're not the we're not the team. We're depre we're the depreciating equipment, and it's a great scene. And it it harkens back to an earlier quote or speech that he was given by the coach. When he says, you know what, B.A. was right, it is time to put away childish things. Yeah. I love that, and I love that last shot in the film. Yes. Absolutely love it. Yeah, no, very good stuff. Very good. Is that, is that all your notes? That's it. All right. 
let's get to see here. We can uh, move along before we, Skype cuts out on us again. Uh, okay, so uh, my make or break in the film, I'm going to go with the prep in the locker room before the game in Chicago. There's like this great 10 to 15 minute moments, uh, a 15 minute scene, I should say, of uh, all this prep. That's where you said that one scene where the racial divide gets knocked down because it all becomes about teamwork. But I love the preparation everybody has. Getting taped up, getting padded up. Uh, you know, Nolte shows up real early to get bandaged up. And uh, this, I do know, happens in professional sports still to this day. People show up, you know, five and six hours early to get bandaged up and taped up and stuff and ready for game day because that's how much pain they're in or they got an injury they got they want to avoid. Plus, they got to get their shot sometimes. So that stuff's got to take – it takes a little while for that to kick in. Uh, just very interesting. I love the whole dynamic. From the beginning of that scene when Nolte shows up early to the to the actual – to the beginning of the game now they don't show much of the game uh but again you don't need that you just need i think the whole movie is encompassed a lot in that locker room scene yeah so it's, it's very good stuff and yet it's the same scene where you get svenson and matuzak showing up in fur coats <laughs> all kinds of wackiness but uh pretty good also both of our movies this week it has a third thing coming we get a lot of bare ass men in the shower shots <laughs> yeah we do uh, but as soon as we get out of women's appreciation month we get back to the uh Bare of men, which is bizarre when you think about Bad Boys as about uh, people under the age of eighteen, and we're looking at bare asses in showers. It's very bizarre. Yeah, I was th- <laughs> I was thinking that as I watched it. Actually, <laughs> very weird when you think about it. that's the eighties, baby. Yeah. Uh, so my MVT for the film, I'm gonna go with Nolte again. I didn't talk a lot about him during the review because I want to talk more about the scenarios the film gives and the kind of theories behind the film and stuff. But uh, Nolte is fucking fantastic in this movie. It's one of his best performances. We talked on the phone the other night about what is the one performance he's going to be remembered for. I think I said maybe probably the 48 Hours character. I can't remember what you said. I don't know if you even said one. Uh, yeah, I had said Affliction, uh, the Schrader film, with, yeah, yes. uh, that I think he gets overlooked a bit because it was one of the last great performances from, um, oh boy. Uh, Coburn, Coburn, James Coburn. Yeah, James Coburn, exactly. So, I mean, I think Nolte is one of the great uh, actors to come out of the 70s. He just doesn't, uh, you know, he just doesn't get the, he's not really the matinee idol type. He's more of a really kind of down-to-earth uh, looking kind of guy. Now, of course, we all know he's a little bit of a space cadet, but either way, uh, again, I'll take these crazy actors over normal actors. The crazy ones always give me more uh, entertainment value, and he feels real. It's the one thing about Nolte I can say. In almost every film he's ever been in, he's always felt kind of real. He is so. a great actor. I think overlooked, uh, absolutely, when we talk about the 70s, it's a shame. You look at his filmography, I can promise you there's 15 to 20 rock-solid performances in there. Yes, great stuff. Uh, my score for the film is going to be an 8.25 out of 10. I think this is a fantastic football movie, and this might be... Again, arguably, it might be the. I would have be hard pressed to say this because you know I'd have to go through all the football films I love. But I would arguably say this is one of the great football movies, if not one of the great sports movies of all time. So it's definitely in my top five. So let's put it that way. Uh, that's all I got. Okay, my maker breaks the opening scene again. We immediately see the glamour stripped away. Like I said, he's like an old man getting out of bed. He's bleeding. He's smoking a joint. Uh, I just I love that opening scene. It's just kind of quiet and, and achy. Um, my MVT is also Nolte. Everyone's great in it. I wanted to give the unsentimentality or the the, pull, the look behind the curtain maybe to the mo- as the most valuable thing, but mm-hmm. I think you still have to have an emotional anchor to a degree, and, and Nolte pulls that off quite nicely. Uh, my four- score for the film is higher than yours. It's a 9 out of 10. Nice. Um, I think this is a fantastic film that really has a lot to say about uh, the business of professional sports and the, the men involved in the business of professional sports. Um, might be definitely in the top three or four uh, football films of all time. Great film. I highly recommend people that even aren't sports fans 
to check it out uh, because there's a lot they could get from it. You don't even need to like sports. As long as you like character pieces, uh, you know, study of a few people in certain situations. Uh, really, arguably, as long as you like good movies, good performances, you're, you're going to like this movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right, so that is our review of North Dallas 40. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about some bad boys. <laughs> we'll be some back. boogers. Yeah, some boogers. We'll be back right after this. All right now, for all you boppers out there in the big city, all you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Briffs. It's a special one for Movie Meltdown. That's how we allow a bunch of movie geeks with a show about some crazy movies. And I do mean Movie Meltdown. Here's a hit with them in mind. Come check out Movie Meltdown. News, reviews, and interviews about your favorite thing, movies. $10 for the budget matinee. The budget matinee. <laughs> this is why we don't go to the theater. That's right. Come by and check it out at MovieMeltdown.com. I kind of want to be able to mix it up and, and tie everything Variety into one big conglomerated mess of movie geekdom. And I don't know That's if we, we can. That's what we are. Movie Meltdown. For movie geeks. By movie geeks. Be looking good, movie meltdown. You hear me, babies? Good. Real good. Adios. You're a rich girl, and you're gone too far, cause you know it don't matter anyway. You can rely on the old man's money. You can rely on the old man's money. It's a bitch girl, but it's gone too far, cause you know it don't matter anyway. Say money, money won't get you too far, get you too far. back uh another visit there from the uh hall and oats uh, and we are as everybody knows the hall and oats of podcasting so <laughs> nice <laughs> that's what i want to be if the show ever ends i want it to be remembered as the gentleman's got a midnight cinema the hall and oats of podcasting <laughs> yes <laughs> nice all right uh so our next film is bad boys from 1983 directed by rick rosenthal uh, plot synopsis, Chicago crime kid Mick O'Brien is sent to reform school after accidentally killing Paco Moreno's kid brother. I don't think that's a spoiler because it generates the whole movie. So, uh, I love that it's called reform school. Did that feel like reform school? That felt more like reform prison. But uh, either way, uh, this film's from 83. So let's talk about it. Well, I would say first and foremost, it's a good thing that Sean Penn didn't kill Paco Querac's kid brother because he wouldn't have made it to... Uh... No way. Smacked him like a wet fart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would have done that arm cross maneuver. <laughs> yeah. Laid him out, man. Uh, so, yeah, this is a pretty good film. I'm glad you picked it. I had seen it before. I had um, a couple family members that were big fans of this film growing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's got a really interesting cast. Um, other than Penn, it's got a lot of character actors. Um, you know, Randy Santoni, who we've talked about on our show. He, he's, he's in Cobra, Dirty Harry, done a lot of things. Um, he was like a Uncle Poppy on uh, fucking Seinfeld. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you ever yeah. saw it, but he was the character that owned this restaurant or something that Kramer knew, and he sat on Jerry's couch one time and pissed all over it. <laughs> yeah, I, rem- I vaguely remember that. Uh, Isai Morales, who I usually, when I think of him, I think of La Bamba. Uh, oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. Like, he's, he's a good actor, man. He's uh, he, the ageless Isai, Isai Morales. I, mean, I don't know if you've seen this guy lately, but he doesn't look like he's aged much. 
Yeah, no, it's still looking good. It's uh, it's a shame that he. I think he is. I'm glad you said. I think he's a better actor than people think. Uh, he seems to have done a lot of nonsense. Uh, yeah, he's done some bad day. movies and stuff. He does. He does intense well. Yeah, he does. He definitely does. Uh, Ali Sheedy, of course, who you know, especially the more I think about it, the more she, she was like the '80s version of Kristen Stewart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the legendary Clancy Brown. <laughs> yes. Uh, He's great in it. Uh, it's got a bunch of other people. Oh, you got um, Alan Ruck, uh, the guy that played Cameron. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. Alan Ruck uh, in, a, in an early scene in the film. Of course, it's funny to see him playing this kind of juvenile role as opposed to what we're, you know, everyone sees him as the Detroit Red Wings jersey wearer in uh, Ferris Bueller. And one other one I have to mention because uh, we've, we've joked about it, but if you look really closely during the inmate scenes when everybody's spitting on everybody else and yelling and screaming, you'll see the Gedrick in there. Mr. Jason Gedrick is in there. No way, is he? <laughs> yeah, the Gedrick. As nice. me, and Will, me and Will call him the Gedrick. <laughs> and there's actually one more name, of course. Uh, he, at this point, he hadn't directed his pizza to Daddy Green's Pizza. <laughs> uh, that's Daddy Green himself. Yes. Uh, Jim Moody. Yes, Ooh, it was nice to see him in a little more of a serious role because I like him in this actually. Yeah, Jim Moody's a good actor, man. I mean, he's got a unique look and stuff and everything else, but he's a good character actor. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, this film opens up, I think, with a really see. I think now that I'm an adult, I look at this film a bit differently than I did as as a, a teenager. Um, you know, I talked about this with the movie Kids, the Larry Clark film. When I was a teenager, I liked it. Now I still admire it creatively, but I feel a little bit uncomfortable watching it. Mm-hmm. I think with this, I would look at it like a, yeah, kind of fist pump way. And although it's still kind of a gritty, nasty film, I think as an adult and a father now, um, I think that I look at it through a bit different eyes. And I think the opening, especially when we see the pictures of all the boys, there being young boys playing with dogs in the pool. You know, at that age, no one thinks their son's going to be bad. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it kind of gives it a bit of a, a, a bittersweet kind of uh, melancholy that is is hinted at throughout the film, despite its more visceral thrills that it packs. Because I think there's definitely commentary on the absence of parents or the absence of care with the parents in the film beyond uh, Eastside Morales' character, who seems to have a good mother, but they're in a bit of a, a poverty-stricken situation. Right. I think that's very interesting you bring that up. I do like the open. This ho- opening is haunting. And yeah. it's touching, too. And the music's really good. I think it's Bill Conti did the score and stuff. It's really good. And, you know, this is the argument I've always made. You know, I mean, people, it's easy to, you know, judge uh, serial killers and all these guys. But these guys were all, at one point in time, they were innocent children. It's really mm-hmm. weird to me where, I've always found it more fascinating where people turn than, you know, where they what they've become. Uh, where the turning point is. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's this real touching moment, these touching moments with these photographs. Uh, and this music and stuff, and you think, you know, when you're a child, everything's so innocent, everything's so so simple, so perfect in a lot of ways. And uh, then life can sometimes, you know, unfortunately take a turn. And uh, I found that really interesting. I think it's a real great touch to open the film with innocence. And then, uh, you know, the rest of the film's pretty much innocence lost. Yeah, it is. So, I, you know, it, it, it's it's tinged with sadness through the eyes that I look at it at this point. Mm-hmm. I, agree. Um, I agree with you completely about that, by the way, too. When I was a kid, this was more of a, almost like a tough guy movie. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. as an adult, and especially as a father to be pretty soon and everything else, it frightens me to no end that I'm going to fuck up something. And my kid might be the next Mick O'Brien or the next Viking Lofgren. First of all, that's an awesome name. I'd, I'd love to name my kid Viking, but I don't think my mom, my mom, my mom, Jesus, another Freudian slip. My wife would, uh, my wife would go for the uh, the Viking. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, exactly. Man. Or, or Tweety. Or Tweety. <laughs> Tweety, yes. Yes, that's right. Tweety. He'd probably get teased less if his name was Viking than Tweety. Correct. Um, but they did make a formidable duo, nonetheless. Yes. Uh, I'm sure you noticed this. Uh, one of the few things I'll kind of make light of is the fact that we get to see JMB in an American film. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> Very early on. And uh, But to, to jump back into the whole kind of thing with the parents and the absence of, of parenting, uh, early on we see that Mick goes to, to see his mother. She's in her bedroom and she's she's with a man. Clearly he's a bit of a stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And she says, I'm with a friend. And you can tell that's kind of the code speak for I'm having sex with someone. Leave us alone. Don't spoil the moment. Yeah, it, it's a, it's really it's kind of a heartfelt, sad scene. I mean, you really feel bad for Mick. You can see why he rebels and and what he's become. Uh, again, you know, I'm not knocking well, single parents out there who you know have a sex life outside of their life, but uh, you really do got to separate them, unfortunately, because you know it can lead to moments like this. Of course, you know, <laughs> I never knew anybody that had a single mom or a single dad that was this blatant. Uh, that was kind of it was very sleazy. This moment, I know what you're talking about. I was like, what a bitch. Yeah, it really it breaks my heart to see uh, a child neglected uh, by their parents. Uh, it really is a sad, sad thing for me. I mean, you know, I'm so close to my dad, but my mother raised me as a single mother. Um, I saw my dad on weekends. So for the, the, the Monday to Friday, I was with my mom. And you're right, it, it takes a lot more to do that well and right. But, you know, I think that's maybe one of the reasons it kind of struck a nerve with me. Um, yeah, yeah. What also struck a nerve was Isai Morales' incredible helmet main. In this film, his hair is so thick and amazing. I mean, it's amazing. It's a, it looks. It looks. I don't think you can mess it up. Eric Estrada thinks he's got the market quartered on Hispanic hair, but I beg to differ. I think Isai Morales, his hair yes. is a little more majestic. But then we get Clancy trying to <laughs> trump them both with like this, this blonde kind of just like the dry Latino perm or something. It's just incredible. Like. He must look back at this film and cringe at his hair, man. Like it's it's something else, man. Oh uh, yeah, he has to because this is a this is basically it's an afro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of like this afro Hispanic mullet kind of. It's it's crazy. Uh, Clancy's a special actor. I mean, we we talked about him before. I don't know if he's ever been on the show before, but he's a special actor. He's got a great voice. Uh, he's a great tough guy actor. Uh, it's really a shame he's always kind of ended up being a character actor, but maybe to his benefit, it's been a good thing because he's had a nice, varied, long career being this character actor as opposed to being the star of films. But uh, plays bad guys well, uh, plays assholes even better. I mean, probably probably one of the great asshole uh, portrayers in cinema, I would say. Yeah, he can play heavy as good as anyone. Yes, very much. And he's been in some great films. I mean, you think about Highlander. Uh, he's in Blue Steel. I remember him in that. I mean, I, I, the Burrowers. He yeah. was one of the best parts of the Burrowers. He was fantastic in uh, Pet Cemetery too. I know that sounds crazy, oh. but uh, he was really. No, he good was good. He was the father of the chubby boy. Yeah, yeah, very good in that. I mean, he just he carries a lot of really good weight with him, and uh, you know, when he comes into a room, you immediately know this guy's either a prick and stuff. And we'll see him again. We'll see him again when we uh, cover Extreme Prejudice. So, oh yeah, and you know what's crazy? He did. He has. He's a talk about working man. This was his very first uh, credit, uh-huh. 1983. So in the uh, the 20 years since, give or take, or the 17, hang on, 18. Uh, 27. 27 years, sorry. My math is 37? incredible. Is it 37? No, 27. <laughs> okay, 27. Because yeah. I was born in 79 and I'm not 47. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, so the 27 years since he made Bad Boys, 170 credits. It's amazing. Yeah, he works, man. <laughs> yep. Not afraid to work. Um 
there's an early line that I think because we, we kind of talked about Issa Morales how his mom is good, but their their situation is more due to poverty than than this, the the love of a parent. And and uh, someone's talking to him and he says, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry, maybe this was Mick. I can't remember who it was, one of the characters. But either way, it says something to me, and I think it was Mick. Now that I think about it. Uh, they said, well, why don't you get a job doing something? He goes, I don't want a job. I want a business. And I think it, it kind of says that it shows how desperate the, the young man is for money mm-hmm. yeah. to better himself and to get the things he wants instead of a, a menial job that he knows. Because a lot of these kids early on, they catch the play. They know that the only way they can make the money they want and have the things they want in life, unfortunately, are to get into more legal ventures. But uh, I really like that line in the film. Uh, I, it says a lot about the the perspective or the outlook yeah and uh, i i love the look of uh we talk we talk about new york and la but uh here's chicago in the early 80s a pretty fantastic looking city uh the griminess the dirtiness uh the kind of bad ends of chicago and stuff very good i mean very good stuff it looks great and uh this is definitely another one of those films where we talk about the bleed over from the previous decade this feels a lot like a 70s film it totally does um i'm glad that they actually got young men like the title bad boys sounds simple enough but i think it's such a great simple title because these are boys in this film a lot of these guys look even clancy brown looks like a a boy i mean i just love that most of them look like boys in this film and it gives it more of a raw tragic feel i mean this isn't like the gabrielle carteris 35 year old playing a sophomore in high school on 90210 kind of school of casting it seems a lot more real sean penn looks like a boy in this film yeah you know what another great thing they do is is that these are bad these are bad boys i mean these are bad kids and they never really make you feel completely sorry for them i mean i know there's a few moments that are supposed to generate us rooting for one over another and things like that but you still know in your heart that this is a bad kid yeah, you're right. I think they straddle that line. It's it's almost becomes like a, um, an, someone as an observer, a non an un or non judgmental observer of this, as opposed to rooting for Mick yeah. or rooting for Morales' uh, his character. Because truthfully, I mean, I know Clancy Brown and and uh, Tweedy are kind of the, the the black hats in the film, but really, you can make a, a very strong case that Morales' his character Paco, uh, he probably has more to be upset about than than mick does yeah i mean you can argue that i mean obviously they use two different and i don't want to get into plot details too much because we don't want to give it away no. in case anybody hasn't seen it no. but they give mick a driver but mick you can see that he he's kind of maturing he's kind of maybe yes. trying to get past these bad things in his life but isa morales's character really won't let him get past it no, but and and to be fair, I'm not saying Morales' character is the white hat. He's a scumbag. Oh yeah, uh, not a scum. He's a bad. He's a bad boy. Again, <laughs> yeah, I mean, oversimplify. You could you could argue he's not say, complete black hat. Yeah, you there's could motivations argue. that are justified for him being angry and getting revenge, right or wrong. Yes, on Sean Penn's character. Yeah, you could argue that you know they're all bad. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you totally. Can you hear me? Are you there? Oh, I lost you. <laughs> That's why he couldn't hear me talking, guys. <laughs> we were having technical issues this morning. I was wondering why I was I was talking while you were talking, and I was like, "Wow, Will's Will's really into a moment here." I can't get, I can't break through his conversation now. I know why? <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good, good. <laughs> now I can. I, I could hear you a little while ago too, but you couldn't hear me. So I don't know where. I'll let you say it because you probably heard me say that you know it's more gray hat than 
Yeah, yeah. That's what. That's the thing. That's the thing about the film. I think that works the best is nobody in this film is a good guy. Everybody, even the the comedy relief, the Horowitz character, uh, even him, he, he's a, he's an awful little kid. Yeah, you know, you would think, you know, when he falls into that cinematic convention of the kind of wise and friendly cellmate who throws the throw, shows the the new our, our hero or our our main character the ropes. Normally, that character is in for a white collar crime, mm-hmm. uh, ripping off someone in a bank. But this guy blew up a theater and killed three kids. So, I have to. Admit, I like his character. Yep. He does a good job of not being grating and let smug like the character could fall into. But he's not a good kid either. I mean, he's he's. He's a bad kid. He's killed people, accident or not. He killed people. Yeah, I mean, there's no excuse for it. I mean, what, accident or not? I mean, he had he went in with the intention of killing people. He even says he meant to kill three people. He just killed the wrong three people. Yes. So he's a murderer. Yeah. I mean, he's he's admitting that he wanted to kill these three kids, anger or not. You know, I, I get very angry too, but I'm not going to fucking kill anybody. It, that's no. the thing. And he admits basically that he's a murderer. And you're just sitting there thinking, Jesus, there's nobody in this film. That's just a good person. There's a lot of murderers and thieves, rapists. I mean, they even say that when they introduce, you know, Pin to the uh, Pin and the other, the younger black character, to the uh, to the place and stuff. And how about that entranceway? Let's just say that. Let me just get that out of the way. When you come in, you get spit on. And and these guys, these actors got spit on. Like you could see it running down their face. It's pretty disgusting. Oh, it's fucking it, it fucking really disgusting is what it is. It made me sick to my stomach. I don't know if I've ever said this on the air, but there's a couple pet peeves I have. One, I'm not a big fan of spitting. Uh, I don't like it when people spit in my general vicinity, especially spit at me. That, that's a that's a moment of roid rage coming out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, second, uh, I can't stand the sounds of spitting or like you know uh, like really like really detailed uh, French kissing in a movie. It makes me th- want to throw up. Now, don't get me wrong, I love to kiss my wife, but that's between me and my wife. I don't really want to hear other people doing that. <laughs> Third parties, uh, lip smacking, and so forth. Yeah, it's no good. I mean, when I was with you and Vish, and you and Vish started doing that, it was crazy. Well, yes, but he had his hand <laughs> up your thigh, so it kind of distracted you yeah, a little bit. Did work, like Bob um, Bob Crane and his friend there. Yeah, 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 exactly, man. Um, it. I actually got a little bit queasy when Clancy, who's really working, I mean, really sticks his finger up there and puts the snot in the green beans. Oh. Snot and nose picking is a repulsion of mine. I'd much rather have. Like my wife fart on my face and pick her nose. That sounds maybe bizarre, but I just I'm repulsed by that. Bizarre, but awesome that it's on the podcast. I can't wait until 20 years from now. I'm listening to this. I'll just have that great moment of you saying that. And and that could be a sound clip. I'm sure that is very ripe to be used. But uh, you know but what? Just, you know what? I could just about agree with you with that though, because uh, uh, I just can't stand that. It's really gross. Man. I mean, don't get you me wrong. I'm a human being. I pick my nose. We all pick our noses. Anybody that says they don't pick their nose is a fucking liar. But I don't pick my nose and wipe it on other people's shit. And if I'm going to do it, I do it in the privacy of my own life, in my own little, my own little bubble. I'm not out in the fuck, public eye, fucking picking my nose and wiping it on shit and people's food and stuff. It just, it's just an asshole move. It's a great generator, though, of you to hate Viking for the rest of the film. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I'll try to make this quick because I know we're kind of pressed for time. I really like the men in this film, uh, Rennie Santoni and uh, Moody, uh, and the other guys. I find that the men in this film are stern. But they're still likable because you can see that they know they have to be hard with these boys and strict. Yeah, everybody, but, everybody but that one, that one guard. He, uh, they give you a moment that he takes it too far. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, the the main the main men in the film, I really like them in the film. Um, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite moment, one of my favorite moments with our uh, 
uh, Daddy's Green to Pizza there or Pizzeria there is, is when they're when the they break out and you see him and the kind of overweight smoking white guy running after him, and you can see the athleticism of yeah, uh, yeah. of our character actor there from uh, Last Dragon. He just fucking takes off, dude. Jim Moody, he is gone. <laughs> oh yeah, man, he's like a fullback. He's just going. Yeah, no, I know, man. But I like that they, you know, the convention or the trap that these films fall into is they always have the wicked warden. And we don't really get that much in this film. No, the it's warden. It's more about the boys. Yeah, the warden in this film is actually a very nice guy. Yeah, but all in all, there's not the, the sadistic guard or anything else. It really is about the boys. And I think in some ways, looking at it from strictly perspective, I would say this hardcore juvie place would be more scary to a boy than prison would be to a man. Because by prison, you're already hardened, you're a man. But when you're a boy, you're still a boy. Yeah. But there's very bad things going on in there. Very scary. Yeah, I mean, there's rape, there's death. I mean, these are kids we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of violence, we I've seen beatings with everything. Now I've seen RC Cola uh, in a pillowcase for the emphatic win. Fantastic scene. Fantastic. Not only Fantastic. that, not only that, but it is one of the best shot scenes I can remember from the '80s because that tracking shot is fucking amazing. Yes. Yes, it has And, you know, is. Rosenthal doesn't get enough credit. He directed Halloween 2, which I will argue is a great slasher film. Not a good one, a great one. I agree. And he also, uh, you know, directed this film. He's a very talented director who unfortunately got into some bad films and stuff, and his career never really re- kind of recouped. He actually remade, I think he made Halloween Resurrection, which is terrible. But With Busta Rhymes, he's just, <laughs> hey, Mikey. <laughs> Pretty bad. But, uh, yeah, he had a great... He, I thought he was going to be an up-and-comer. I really did. Uh, these two films, his two, Halloween 2 and this one are great films. And I think he did another one I like. I'm going to look through his filmography while you're talking here. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just jump through these notes very quickly. The trans, One criticism, the transition to Sean Peng being the barn boss, which is kind of the, the head guy in the, in the, in the detention center, um, uh-huh. is a bit clumsy to me. Yeah, it is. I thought that was a bit shoehorned for the sake of moving the story along. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's telling that when Tweety gets out, and this isn't a plot spoiler, it's his friends that come to get him. It's not his family. Again, it's kind of that subtle commentary about, um, you know, these characters not having that 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 parental. Yeah, and there's, an, there's another great moment where Tweety's name comes back up again. Which again, I'm not going to give away, but it's another fantastic moment. It kind of pays off with that the friends coming to pick him up as opposed to the parents. Yeah, it's a really good moment, uh, and I like the moment when they had him some reports. And uh, Jim Moody's character shows a drawing. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay, he shows a drawing of a bird flying over the, the prison wall. And Viking, of all people, was the one that drew it. And he was trying to express himself. You know, he has to put on, a, of course, an exterior. And they're all, they all start yelling faggot and laughing at his drawing. And I think, again, it's that boys in school thing. It's just, again, he's a boy. He, he clearly has a sensitive side, but uh-huh, uh-huh. it's not allowed to show. And because of his exterior uh, look and demeanor... It's it's a eat or be eaten. So he's got to keep this wall up, and and he's got that moment of vulnerability that the teacher had good intentions for, but results in him being mocked for it. Yeah, repressed feelings are always dangerous. I mean, you you, yeah. you repress who you are, you're asking for trouble. Oh yeah. Now my last note is I just I love at the end, and I'm not saying good or bad, but I love at the end that Penn is crying. Uh, again, boy, is the key word here. You know, it's it, I just I love that that end uh, works. Yeah. Oh, for me. So those are all my notes. Let's kick it over to you. All right. Uh, I did talk about the bleed over. This is actually one of my favorite Sean Penn performances. He has some great performances early in his career. Uh, obviously, the Jeff Spicoli performance is very infamous, but he also has another one with Christopher Walken and his brother uh, in At Close Range. Have you ever seen that film? 
I never have. That's I know of it because uh, Live to Tell the Madonna song I think uses a lot of clips from the video. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or uh, in the video. We might, we might have to cover that at some point in time. It's a good film. It's a very good film. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, I'll say you know same thing you said. Issa Morales is very good. I think he's over underrated. I should say uh, he does do intense well. I don't seem to do a lot of stuff, but I always think of Labamba too, man, because I always felt for his character when he screams Richie. Oh, I, I got chills right now because I always get ch- chills at that moment in the film because Sleepwalk, the the, uh, the piece of music by Santu and Johnny plays, and it's yep. such a sad moment. It's one of my favorite kind of sad, melancholy moments in a film. Yeah, I mean, just the way he yells Richie and stuff, it just feels so real and stuff. But Isai, you know, he's he's a great-looking guy. You know, he like I say, he doesn't age and everything else. But he does do, you know, he's done some great films. He's done some great film work and stuff. He does, unfortunately, kind of get pigeonholed into intense young man or nowadays intense older man, I guess. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, he's, he's still a good actor and stuff. And great hair. You're right. Eric Estrada has, has nothing on Isai's hair, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I feel like you know the young. This is probably the best young punks film, only next to the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors is obviously maybe the Citizen Kane of the young punks movie. Yeah, it, it absolutely is the <laughs> Citizen Kane of the young punk movie. But but I think they're going going for different things. But yeah, this yeah they are they obviously right. this is kind of like the the reality of what could happen if the Warriors did exist. I mean, if you got caught, you know. Yeah, like, it wasn't that hyper stylized. But you're right. This is totally because they refer to their. Um, they're juvenile, like they're, um, what are they called? They're officers. They're uh, in that movie. Oh, my, my, uh, my, uh, I can't remember. Counselor, what. Or yeah, whatever. Something like that. Talk- yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it always felt, you know, I've always, when I was growing up, I loved this movie and I loved The Warriors and I would watch them. And I'd, only as an older man do I kind of see the themes of one over the other, whereas one's played for more serious and the other one obviously is a little bit more of a fable. But at the same time, you can kind of get the sense of you know what the filmmakers were going for and stuff, and I found you know that would make an interesting double bill, the Warriors and Bad Boys. It would make an interesting double bill to kind of kick back and watch a couple movies. Oh yeah, uh, the establishment shot of the reformatory. There are some great shots in this movie. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't bring it up, but there's some great tracking shots. This film, although not flashy, is shot very, very well. Yeah, and it's really, really a testament to Rosenthal that he. You know, he, he's a good filmmaker. He just unfortunately kind of, I really, I looked through his filmography, just Michael, he really hasn't done much, mostly TV work after this and and a couple other little films in there, but nothing like Halloween 2 or Bad Boys. So unfortunately, I just lost Will again. So you guys are going to hear the Skype ring again. Here we go. And there it is. <laughs> yes. Outstanding. Awesome. I heard you say he's a good filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, he's a good filmmaker who just kind of got caught up making, you know, bad, you know, not bad TV, but just TV stuff. So. It is what it is, but I think that there's a you know was a good filmmaker in Rick Rosenthal at one point in time. So you know he he comes from the John Carpenter school. I think he worked with John Carpenter. So you know there you there you go. Um, a couple other things I mentioned the Gedrick. It's got the great tough guy asshole performance from him. You're right, the coax and the pillowcase scenes is outstanding. Great tension built there. Uh, and the, the, I actually have a note too says the tracking shots are outstanding. I think that the one key I want to bring up here is that. The the Rosenthal gives you just enough of the outside world to make the reformatory that much more claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really does a good job of making you feel like you know this reformatory is like you know hell on earth, and not just because of the violence that takes place and in the reformatory or the you know kind of the bad elements that are in there, but because you get these moments of seeing the free world and y- you can see what these kids are missing and what they give up by pursuing these these certain things that they pursue these these you know criminal exploits that they end up getting into and i think that they give you just enough unlike the warriors where the warriors is pretty much all about survival this is more about you know what could have been 
And I think that, uh, you know, that Rosenthal does a great job in showing us, you know, what, you know, the life they could have. And I actually kind of admire Ali Sheedy's character that she's willing to stand up for her boyfriend, even though, you know, if I was her dad, I would be totally irritated that she was into this dude that, uh, you know, accidentally killed a boy, was into drugs and, and guns and because, I mean, these are really bad kids. I mean, these are kids with shotguns. These aren't kids with, uh, you know, these aren't kids with bats. <laughs> no. You know, like the Warriors and stuff. This isn't kids with, I mean, these are kids with full-blown hardware. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty insane. And, uh, you know, if I was her dad, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Well, put yourself in her shoes. What would you think? I mean, if your daughter is 16, 17, 18 years old, she's going out with a guy who, you know, Hello? just, I'm here. I'm here. Can you hear me? <laughs> this is going to be the greatest podcast ever. We were so looking forward to talking about these movies, and we're having technical difficulties. <laughs> I was just telling the listeners that this is a good. We were so excited to talk about these two movies, and this is going to have so much technical difficulties. It sucks. Oh man! Uh, thankfully, it's at the back end here, but I just, I just hate that it's cutting into your, uh, yeah. your thing. I heard hardware, and uh, I'm just talking about how they, you know, the, these. If if you were her dad, would you not be irritated or completely pissed that she would be so into this guy after getting raped uh, and everything else? Actually, oh, you just. Yeah. You might want to cut that out. Yeah, I might want to cut that out. Um, I would be, yeah, if I was her dad, I would be upset that she is dating a bad boy. She's. <laughs> I think that's the problem that with girls. They have that allure for the rebel. Um, as a parent, you hate that, but, you know, that, that kind of comes with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't really have a whole lot more to say. I just think that this is a very underrated film, and I picked it for that reason. I think more people should see it. So if you haven't seen it because, one, you don't like Sean Penn, who in real life can be a bit of a douche, or uh, whatever, uh, you know. But what a great actor, it yeah, should be said. Yeah, again, the same situation with the Nolte situation. I think Sean Penn's a little wacky too. Uh, but again, these guys, I think they function great as actors and stuff. And you know, we had some great acting this week on the show. I mean, there's some great stuff. And uh, yeah, Penn's early career was amazing, and he still does great work. Don't get me wrong. It's just, you know, I know he has a little bit of a history now outside of <laughs> outside of his uh, film work. But you know, hey, that's the way it goes. Either way, this is a great performance from him. So I'll go ahead and kick it over to you. Let's get your scores and whatnot. Yeah, very quickly, the cinematographer Bruce Surtees is very, very accomplished. Yes. Did a lot of uh, Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood work, The Beguiled, Play Misty for Me, Dirty Harry, mm -hmm. uh, Joe Kidd, High Plains Drifter, The Outfit, Night Moves, Josie Wales, The Shootist, uh, Escape from Alcatraz, uh, Firefox, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, Risky I Business. I would say that Mr. Eastwood loves using Mr. Surtees. <laughs> Oh, big time. Pale Rider. Um, so he's shot a lot of that action stuff, which I think is one of the reasons some of the stuff looks so good. Um, my make or break is the scenes with um, the men, mainly Jim Moody and, and Santoni. Okay. Uh, speaking to the boys, I think, again, it straddles a lot between them being firm, but also trying to convey that you, know, you need to change. You're going to end up dead if you don't change. Right. Uh, I really like those moments uh, in the film. Uh, my MVT's the setting again. Like I said, a, a hardcore juvenile hall for these boys is terrifying. Let's face it, all of them are scared. They're not men yet. They're still boys trying to find their footing in the world. Um, mm -hmm. So I really like that uh, as much as I do like a lot of the performances. My score for the film is a 7.75. Uh, actually, you know what? Fuck that. It's an 8. I think this is a really good, uh, a really good film. Like you said, it's very, very underrated. Yes, uh, and I would highly recommend everyone check it out because it's got something for everyone. Nice, nice. Okay, my make or break is I'm going to go with the coke can scene because I think the tension there is built incredibly well. The tracking shot from uh, down low where Penn is walking, and yet you can still see Tweety and the Viking in the background <laughs> is outstanding. Uh, and I also love the Tweety and Viking don't get out of the way for anybody. Everybody has to get out of the way for them. 
Yeah. I mean, it immediately establishes these guys are assholes. <laughs> so yeah. pretty good, pretty good moments there. Uh, and that Coke can scene is outstanding. I mean, you can really feel the Royal Crown Cola to the crown. You can really feel that. And uh, I don't know. I've always thought about that scene. That scene and the the soap bars and the socks and Full Metal Jacket. Oof. Yeah, I've always thought about those scenes. How bad they would hurt. Ooh. Oh yeah. Um, the unconventional I, weapons. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, you. Well, I mean, it's just the human condition, right? If you can't, if you don't have any other weapon, you're going to make a weapon. You'll find something. Mm-hmm. Uh, my MVT. I'm going to go with Rosenthal because I don't think he gets enough credit. I mean, I think he made two really great films in his career, and. Uh, I, if we were doing Halloween too, I would give him the MVT as well because I just think he did a great job with that one, and uh, he's you know a really good filmmaker who kind of got sidetracked, unfortunately. So it is what it is, but uh, he did a great job with this film. I think this is a very solid film. It's a little overlong, but it's uh, it's really really well done. It's a very deep film. There's a lot that happens in this movie. I remember all the stuff that happened. I'm watching it again. I'm like Jesus, that hasn't even happened yet. It's like we still got yeah. we still got an hour to go, and that's still got to happen. This has got to happen. I mean, there's a lot that goes on in this movie. Oh yeah, it's a, and it's a pretty brutal film. It should be said. Yeah, and uh, my score for the film, I'm gonna agree with you completely. Eight, eight out of ten. I think it's a, uh, it's a very, very good film. One of the one of the better films of the '80s. Uh, it's sadly overlooked. This is before steroids and big explosions. This was still when uh, little action movies were still kind of gritty and violent. And and Will's right. This movie is nasty. It's got some truly nasty moments in it. So, all right, that is our review of Bad Boys from '83. We are going to take a break. Come back with some listener feedback. We'll be back right after this. Welcome to a night of total terror. That's Mickey Mouse's penis. I know it's the terror. Yeah, they don't look to be afraid. They look to be shocked. Here's the China. It's, did you see Miley Cyrus's globulous breath? Night of the Living Podcast. I yeah. found more syrup on my pants. <laughs> There was, however, a guy using a An experience in shock, more shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the Living Podcast. Ass to mouth is fantastic. Yeah. Holy shit, that just happened. What's that bad man doing to my donkey? Get Ginger A night of total terror. I can't maintain this level of ridiculousness. Night. Of the Living Podcast. some listener feedback this morning so let's get on it i don't know how much email we actually have uh, i know one individual said he didn't really care if we read it or not so i probably wouldn't read it <laughs> uh let's see <laughs> okay this is a reminder for everyone to call cinema diabolica they haven't been getting very much feedback um we need our feedback uh, DZ does a terrible hat impersonation though, and sounds oddly like Mike Tyson. I think I need to 
call him out on that. Yes. Uh. Uh, and <laughs> their uh, their voicemail line for everyone is 206-426-0817. So, guys, give them a call. They're the show that really uh, helped to birth us. So they, they're back, and yes. it's nice to get feedback. It's, it's good for the podcaster's soul. They are our vaginal canal. Yes. <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> That's what they um, are. <laughs> so, yes, uh, let me just see. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, so the next one is from Mark, then. Okay. And it says, reach out and touch. Uh, it says, hola, gentlemen. Forget it's about time. I put a finger to keyboard and <laughs> still laughing at the vaginal canal. Uh, and share my appreciation of how good a job you're doing. I happened to cross your podcast in January of this year when I listened to your Double Deuce feature on the Mayreen films. I think I heard Sammy do the Hooper episode on Trinstricker versus Punter first, and I got to you from there. Mm. I was hooked by the style of your review and the high praise you lavished on the French crime thriller, and consequently when I watched the films, although yes, they are clearly great in their own right, your reviews gave me so much more to look out for and enjoy without spoiling, which is key to me. My new favorite thing was born. Well, technically it had been born some time ago, but I wasn't around. I decided to start from the beginning with Trinity on GGTMC1. The fact that you had by this point so many for me to catch up on means I never suffer the waiting. I pretty much listen to you every day for some period of time, whether it's doing the washing up, driving to work, or making a sandwich. My iPod has become a better friend. I'm at episode 41 now, Viva Django, which is a great example of why I love yourself so much. I've been a film fan for years, but as you say, sometimes life gets in the way and you don't get to uh, as much time to watch movies as you'd like. I made it my New Year's resolution to watch uh, more film, and I guess that's how I ended up finding you. But back to Django. Here in the UK, back in the 80s, uh, we had a weekly movie on BBC Two that was introduced by Alex Cock, who directed Repo Man, which I think would fit into the show too. The films he introduced were genre classics, underrated little-known minor stream. Maybe I just made that word up. Gems. <laughs> which of, uh, one of which was Django. Now, I think it was the original, and for years I've never met anyone else who saw it, yet I... Yet now I know it spawned a hundred imitations. I've learned of Franco Nero and Terence Hill and where they went and who they are and where they are. Recently you covered Convoy, which uh, when I was a kid my parents bought our first VHS video recorder one Christmas as a surprise for me and my sister. Convoy was on that Christmas, so we taped it and must have seen it a million times. Listening to you juxtapose the fact that it's such a flawed movie but held dear in your hearts is just one of so many connections you guys make with your listeners. I feel I can relate to your outlook and viewpoint on so many things. Perhaps it's generational. I, too, was born in 1973, just like the Samurai, and Badlands, Westworld, The Sting, The Wicker Man, and Live and Let Die. Uh, has there been a better year for movies? Uh, I jest. Okay, 1977, you got Star Wars, and uh, Donnie Romero? Uh, Is that when Dawn of the Dead came out? Yeah, 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 I think so. I think so. So I didn't know if he meant Tony Monero with <laughs> Saturday Night Fever, maybe? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that either. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, he, something good came out that year. One of those films probably. Probably Dawn. But maybe White, le white uh, Polyester. Who knows? Uh, like you, Big Willie, I have a Latino wife. Mine's actually Italian, but reasonably close. Uh, Spanish from Malaga. And a little girl of three who sat through the whole of Wizard of Oz. I often find myself nodding and laughing along to your extended ex family experiences. But back to what you do best. Long and short, good or bad, you make me want to watch every film you do. Incredible job. Love it, love it, love it. Um, oh, so this was the one you were referring to. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, we only got the one email this week, so it's not that big a deal. Um, he says, I can hear you're already getting a ton of feedback, and the fact I won't get to hear for a few months due to my playing catch-up makes me the Keanu Reeves character <laughs> in a senseless, unfulfilling, time-travel nonsense lake house movie. 
<laughs> Mind you guys at the Bullocks. Adios, Mark from Chester, England. A PS, this is awesome. I don't know if you've seen Kick Ass, but Big Daddy and Hit Girl are like a hyper real version of the Doc and KK, no? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Amazing film, by the way, that KK won't be seeing for a few years yet. <laughs> yes. Nice. <laughs> I guess you could see him that way. Um, yeah, I could see him that way. Of course, you know, KK. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that is, and we appreciate that, uh, Mark. We, we, we appreciate that quite a bit, actually. Uh, listen, found me through Chinstroker versus Punter. They're doing their 100 episode pretty soon, so very cool. All right. Yeah. No, he, uh, he. Yeah. Thank you again for all the kind words. It certainly means a lot to get a new person on board and one who lavishes as much praise as you do, Mark. So hopefully you enjoy going forward. Um, I know our friend Phil sent us some pictures of himself uh, with Anna Biller, the director of Viva. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if there was an email attached. No, it just it was some pictures, and we thank him for the sunflowers. Those are beautifully crafted. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> images in the sunflowers. So thank yeah. you for that, Phil and Tracy. <laughs> Was nice. um, it took me a minute to figure out because I know you said look at the sunflowers closely, and I had to look at them very closely, and I was like, ah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also want to remind everyone, Doc and KK's one-year anniversary, I think, is either just come or is coming up. So another one of our dear, dear, dear friends, um, call them, congratulate them. Doing it for a year is is a testament to uh, you know, how much work they put in and what they're willing to give their listeners. So congratulate them, guys. Again, it's it's great to hear from your listeners. It really helps drive you on and, and keep you going on those days when if you don't feel like doing a show. So yeah. get over there and, and uh, Doc and Cake, you know how much you love what they do. They just did a great Kurt Russell Disney movie episode, like uh, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. That was a trilogy of uh, his films. So. Yes, I remember so check, those films. Check it out. <laughs> All right. We got some voicemail. So let me cue those up here. There we go. Hey, gentlemen, this is Mark from Southern California. First of all, I have downloaded episode 39 uh, for Phantom of the Paradise. I will be listening to that sometime this week. Um, second of all, uh, experiences at the theater. You, I'm, I'm still listening to the most recent episode, uh, Binging Angel and uh, Viva. Um, I'm just starting to listen to the uh, listener feedback. Uh, and anyway, you said experiences at the theater. Well, uh, I mentioned this uh, a while back on the Dry Blood podcast, but I don't know if any of you or your listeners uh, listen to that. But uh, after having seen uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, my best friend and my sister and I wanted to go back and see it again. But by the time we got to the theater, it was sold out, so we didn't want to go back home. So uh, we went to the midnight showing of Dawn of the Dead. And this theater, it's, it's, uh, which no longer exists, it was in the city of industry, California, at the uh, uh, La Puente Hills Mall, or the Puente Hills Mall. And they gave it the same treatment as Rocky Horror Picture Show. This was fantastic. Um, you know, people talking to the screen and throwing crap at the screen. But what made it funnier for me is about halfway through the movie, one of the ushers came in to watch, make sure nobody was uh, you know, getting out of hand or whatever. And then he starts talking to the screen. And what he's saying is a thousand times more funny than what the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, public or whatever I call them, the, the viewers, the moviegoers, are uh, you know, uh, spewing out. 
also, uh, sometimes going to the movies can't, I know you wanted to keep this for three minutes, but I have to go back again. Uh, sometimes, uh, going to the movies can, uh, skew, I guess is the word I want to say, uh, what you really see at the movies. I saw Harlem Nights with a really good crowd, thought it was one of the best movies in, in, at that time. Later on when it came out on video, big piece of crap. Oh, I didn't laugh one. So, <laughs> anyway, there's other, um, things I want to talk about. Again, I'll wait till the, I'm finished with the rest of the uh, episode and uh, give some more feedback. Talk to you later. Bye. It's interesting he says Harlem Nights because my brother uh, snuck into Harlem Nights when he was younger and came back. I didn't see it at the movie theater. Came back and told me I have to see Harlem Nights. It's the funniest movie he's ever seen. And uh, eventually it came out on video and I rented it and we we watched it, and uh, he didn't laugh very much, and neither did I. I mean, we, we laughed at you know certain parts. Certain parts were funny, but uh, after it was over, I was like, well, that wasn't as funny as you said it was. He's like, uh, yeah, he goes, it must have been the crowd. So, <laughs> Yeah, you and I always talk about that. Film really can be a communal thing, and, and you kind of get into this, uh, you know, this, this kind of uh, Borg-like collective uh, thinking on a film. Um it happens. I mean, that's the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done that with... Uh, there's been several. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's been several, actually, that uh, I had a better experience at the movie theater than I did at home. But I can't think of the other one. There was one I was going to talk about, but shit, I can't think of it. But There's been quite a few. Action movies, uh, dramas, all kinds of stuff. I know there's been certain dramas, like in a movie theater, I would uh, tear up. You know, actually, you know, get, get emotional. But then watching it at home, I was like, this is a piece of shit. You know, a part of it is, too, in a normal circumstance. If it's a movie that lends itself to a crowd, that's one thing. But I find, you'll probably agree with me, that at home there's many more distractions. When you go to the theater, you turn your phone off, you sit there, and you're immersed in the sound in the picture. Whereas if you're at home, you're going to get up more, you're going to get something to eat, you're going to answer the phone, you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it kind of snaps you out of that, that trance you're in with the yeah. film. So. Yeah. There's that, and yeah, just the, the vibe of everyone else uh, that they're giving off. So the dreaded totally. pa- the dreaded pause button. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Next voicemail. Here we go. Rick, Will, this is Phil. I have an Annabella story. Um, back in about 2003, I was looking on the web for some movies. And it was a website at the time. They're not around anymore. That they were selling um, public domain type films and experimental stuff. And as a blind buy, I bought her short film collection, which now can be purchased through her website. And I highly recommend throwing the money her way. Um, these are great films. Um, there's actually a fourth film that is on her DVD that wasn't on the original one called Fairy Ballet. Um, the other ones are called A Visit from the Incubus, The Hypnotist, and Three Examples of Myself as Queen, which is my favorite one. It's really, really funny. She has a great sense of humor. Um, I guess what appealed to me when I first saw her films was that she is the auteur. She does everything. She makes the costumes. She, you know, makes the set pieces. And just, you watch these films and you see how much love she has for genre cinema. Um, A Visit from the Incubus is a Western um, type film. These films are about 15, 20 minutes long. Um, musical numbers, some of the cast you'll see who were uh, her longtime friends from uh, the earlier days are also in Viva. Um, I believe they're stage actors, which might explain their 
um, acting somewhat to a degree in Viva. Um, stage actors are very, um, very unsubtle as far as their acting goes. So I guess that might explain some of the uh, way the uh, dialogue was delivered. But um, anyway, I sent her an email many years ago on uh, how much I loved her films. And we did strike up a um, pen pal type relationship um, before Facebook. And I actually had the opportunity to meet her in Rochester a couple years back um, for the premiere of Viva. And uh, I sent you a photo. She was fantastic. If you do have the opportunity to hook up with her, her website is lifeofastar.com. And again, pick up the DVD. It's really, really good. Um, highly recommended. Um, I can't wait to see more Anna Biller films. I just fell in love with her from the first time I saw this. It's just the, her craft and her love of film really shows in each one. And I highly recommend the three examples of myself as Queen. She has a beautiful singing voice, too. Um, I can't talk highly, more highly about her. So, um, I think that's it for now. Um, I love you guys, and uh, I do listen to your show all the time. Sorry I don't call in as often, but <laughs> I try to call in when I have something that is worth talking about. So, <laughs> you take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Good old Phil. Uh, yeah, that's interesting, the Anna Biller thing. I didn't, you know, that just kind of came up because we've known Phil for a long time, and we've never, we've never discussed Anna Biller until now, so... No, no. I mean, I get, you know, tr- you know, in our defense, she's not uh, a name that you would know unless maybe you caught one of her films on the circuit. Um, but hey, that's very cool that there was that uh, correspondence, and he's he's supported. If I, you know, one thing I love about Phil is he he always puts his money where his mouth is and supports a film and a film he believes in, which is what any you know, which most of us or all of us should do if we can afford it. Is really, you know, support the industry. Right. Right. Yeah. Um- yeah, I'm gonna have to check out more of Biller's films. I mean, I, I again, you know, we talked about the movie. I'm not gonna talk about it again here, but uh, yeah, there's certain aspects of it uh, that you can tell she has. Uh, there's a, there's some talent there, and quite a bit of it actually. Uh, don't know if that's the perfect film. Obviously, it's not. We didn't think so, but uh, still very impressive when you consider. Yeah, when she does this erotic witch one, I'll I'll be first in line with Phil and you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, next voice, Will. Hey, gentlemen, this is Mark from Southern California. I just got finished listening to the interview with Alan Arkish, and I need to say that Mr. Rupert is the man. I think this is the third interview I've listened to with him since I started listening to you guys, and very good interviewer. Just kisses their ass, excuse me, kisses the interviewee's ass just enough to make them feel good, <laughs> Nice. Anyway, thank you guys very much. Thank you, Rupert. And I will talk at you later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Nice. Sure. Did he say just listen to the Alan Arkish one? I guess he did just say that. Yes, which it should be said as a fantastic interview. Yes. Mr. Arkish likes to talk. And uh, Mr. Arkish looks like my father-in-law, Frank. <laughs> he does a little bit, yes. You're right. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, he does kind of yeah. look like Frank a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that until just now. And the reason why I'm laughing, gang, is because I have met Frank, and uh, yeah, <laughs> he does kind of look like Mr. Yeah, Argus a little bit. A white hair, the white goatee cropped the same way, and yes, <laughs> if, uh, if Frank blew out his hair a bit more, it would definitely look like uh, Mr. Argus. <laughs> 
Nice. Uh, he's got a new one. He just sent me another interview he did. Uh, Rupert's just tearing him off, man. Just tearing off interview after interview. Doing a good job. Uh, makes for fun listening. I'll put, I think I'll put that out later this week. So we'll see what happens there. I won't give anybody who it is yet. I'll wait until we put it out and you'll see. All right. Um, next voicemail. Hey, gents, it's Emily, and I just wanted to echo, oh, I, oh, I forgot who left the really good feedback about how um, kind of gentlemanly you are, even when you're uh, disliking a movie, but it, it actually made me realize that I think your enthusiasm for movies in, I guess, what, like the past year and a half or so that you've been doing the podcast, like, really has made a difference, and um I think I there are plenty of movies I never would have watched had you guys not talked about them, but more so than anything, I think there are genres I would never have even thought to investigate, like just action movies and kind of 80s cheese action movies, which I'd kind of forgotten that I ever liked just because nobody that I really know or talk to likes them. And, um you know, even, I don't know if it's part of it's just being a female. Very few of my female friends watch them. Even my boyfriend's <laughs> not an action fan. No. And but hearing, you know, when you guys talk about the stable laser, oh, stable laser, stable. Oh my God! Why is there not a sequel called the Stable Laser? That's totally derailing <laughs> me. And I think you should call Peter O'Brien back and ask him if he would um, produce and or star in a movie called the Stable Laser. Because it'd be amazing. I just really wanted to say I love you guys for. Um, Opening up a world of wonderful tough tits. Thank you. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, she brings up an interesting point. I've noticed when uh, I've you know been editing the show, and I don't really listen to our show, um, not for entertainment purposes. I mean, I listen to it to work on it and things, but uh, I'll go back and listen to it every now and then to see if uh, you know uh, a mess up that we had during recording, which we do have them, guys. Believe it or not, some of them I leave in, some of them I do not, and. Uh, and I've noticed that, you know, even when we don't like a movie, uh, we are pretty nice about it. And I do think it happens to be that, uh, you know, we both respect filmmakers so much. I think that's what it is. I think that, you know, both of us know how much work goes into making a movie. And, uh, you know, it, it, it would be so easy to get on here and just trash a bad movie. And I just think that's the easy way out. You're right. And I think when we just to harken back to the Fulci thing I'd been doing recently, like we talked about, we understand how hard it is for the director and we understand how hard it is for everyone involved to make a good film or an entertaining film or whatever the case may be. And I think that, you know, as people who love film, we can always glean something from a film when we don't and when you hear us spit venom, I would say nine times out of ten, Sammy, it's because the film is lazy. Mm hmm. And or completely unoriginal, which is really a derivative of being lazy when it comes to filmmaking. Yeah. Um, or or isn't it strictly for the money? If it's those things, that's when you'll tend to hear us lash the fucking film. But otherwise, I think there's always usually something to glean from a film. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, and it, it is it is our love of movies in general. I mean, we can find anybody can find a reason. But I just think, you know, when I hear other podcasters do this and I hear other people do this or even critics do this when they just lash a movie for just the reasons that doesn't make any sense to me. I always think, okay, I mean, can you give me that? There's always a positive to every negative. And I just, I just don't understand why people can't argue the positives too. So the best critics can take a piece of garbage and still argue some positives. Doesn't mean they have to like the movie, but uh, at least they can argue the positives and the negatives. 
Oh, certainly. And and it should be said, you know, I, I'm flattered that Emily says that because I consider Emily, Emily, <laughs> Emily to be very knowledgeable uh, and studious when it comes to film. So for her to to heap such praise on us is is very flattering. So thank you, Emily. I we truly, I think, speak for same way because we take that to heart because you know, you uh, you know your film, sister. Yeah, they uh, that that should be the sequel there, Emily, starring in the stable laser. There we go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with Peter O'Brien and Peter O'Brien wiki guy he'd be the backup this, this time uh, Emily gets to shoot the crossbow yes <laughs> that is the weapon you know, of choice that is the weapon of choice for females on the island crossbow with a chiffon dress wiki gay there's two two weapons that I always think are outstanding in action movies the crossbow and the slingshot <laughs> And the laser, of course. <laughs> and the laser, or what, what's that old uh, that old caveman type weapon, like hammock type thing, where you put a rock in it, and you swing it. I wonder what they. Call, I can't remember what they call that. Oh, looks like uh, that jialai or hialai. Or like or like coke cans, coke cans in a pillowcase. <laughs> yes, or RC cola cans. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> yeah, a little royal crown to the to the crown. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, next voicemail. This is a weird one. I don't know who sent this. I really don't. Uh, I have an idea. This one is, oh, I know which one this is, and this is fucking bizarre. <laughs> so here we go. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. There were many of them. So was a big man. But a white woman. He wore a red star. Dakota. What's his name? Come on, Tell me. Tell me about this. You got tons of popcorn there. Yeah. All you gotta do is go climb a tree to go eat it. <laughs> and there's cotton candy, mountains of it. Oh. And chocolate milk. And there's a G, a magic G. And he can't wait to What is that from? Do you know? Yes, I do know because it's a pretty infamous. At least I think I remember. That would be, and just so you know, um, that wasn't Zom hitting me up on Skype. Uh, if you heard that, that was uh, where is it here? Penis enlarge, flexi handshake. Thank you. Um, flexi handshake. That's a. Uh, I forgot to tell you. That's one of our new fans. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Well. When I, when I tell you the name of the actor and the director involved in that film, your penis will enlarge. Nice. If memory serves me correctly, that is Bruno Mattei's masterpiece, Strike Commando, and that is one Reb Brown. Ah. Because there's a scene in that film where, um, I don't think I'm spoiling anything, there's a young boy who kind of bonded with <laughs> Reb Brown. He gets killed by the bad guys, and Reb Brown gives him a big speech about Disney World or something. I <laughs> 
I think that's what it is. And the screaming at the end may have confirmed that, it, in fact, it was Matei. It might have. It also had that uh, echo effect on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lord. Oh, I God. think you are right. I'm thinking about it now. I've seen Strike Commando. I, I'm pretty... You know, the, the scene sounded familiar. So I'm At thinking. first, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like... You know, like I didn't know what it was. The woman was talking about. Uh, she sounded kind of hot, and then there was just a blubbering and chocolate milk. <laughs> chocolate milk. Uh, yeah, <laughs> gonna have to get those films on here sometime. <laughs> oh, we are doing a double deuce of Strike Commando. Nice. All right, <laughs> next voicemail. Hello, gentlemen. This is uh, T.L. Bug here. It's uh, been a while since I've uh, called in, but I've been way behind on shows. And uh, I finally caught up, and I was uh, just slurping down the rest of my uh, PB&C shake. And uh, since I feel like this may be the last phone call I ever make, I thought it should probably uh, be to you guys. Uh, so I just want to say uh, I, I really enjoyed your uh, review of Avenging Angel last week. Um, I've seen it fairly recently, but I've seen Angel a little more recently. And um, it, it does also kind of have a comedic tone to it, too, what with all the kind of weirdos and whatnot and, and some of the more off-kilter stuff. But uh, I do think that Angel is slightly sleazier than Avenging Angel. Um, but great review, nevertheless. Um, also, I, I want to say I've really enjoyed everything in, in uh, Ladies Appreciation Month. Uh, it's great to hear all these uh, ladies and all their wonderful picks, uh, especially your moms had a couple of great picks. Uh, so I've barely been digging that. Uh, I've also been digging all the interviews and everything. Rupert's doing just an amazing job with uh, all the interviews. Uh, I just finished the uh, Arkush interview, and I really thought that was great. Uh, your y'all's Peter O'Brien interview was was just wonderful. So I've been enjoying that too. And uh, that's about it. Y'all keep doing the thing. Uh, Dennis Hopper, rest in peace. Uh, and uh, folks. All right, the lightning bug. TL bug. Yes, that's uh, <laughs> we're going to get him on the show at some point. We're adding him to the list uh, yeah, of the ever growing. <laughs> the ever growing list. <laughs> ever growing list. But no, thanks for that bug. Uh, we certainly appreciate your your feedback. And he I actually got to tell you off the air, Sammy. He um, uh, had sent us a, an offer of sorts, or or was going to do us a solid on something that we were looking for. That he could get to us, so remind me to tell you about that. And thanks again, Bug, and I hope you enjoy your shake and you're still alive to hear this after yeah. eating or drinking the liquid equivalent of sixty-eight strips of bacon. Yes, <laughs> we've we've discussed we've discussed this uh, this milkshake uh, several times now since you brought it up. <laughs> I talked about it with my mom last night, man. <laughs> The more ridiculous it gets, you know, the more ridiculous it gets, the more you, you're going to end up coming across the border and end up wanting to try one of these damn things. Oh, I will. Trust me. It'll, the day will come, man. And I'm going to feel fucking disgusting. Well, you're going to have to make that. sure that's the only thing you have that whole day. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure, man. And it's going to have to be like midday, you know, just kind of ease into it and, and burn it off somewhat. It's, yeah, it's serious tings. Yes. All right. Next voicemail. It's Buggy callback. Hey, sorry, bug again. I uh, just forgot to congratulate everybody on all their baby news. I'd uh, not have gotten done that. It's good to know there are people uh, that are going to be out there populating the world because my wife and I refuse. So, good job. <laughs> nice. Keep it up. 
more weight. That sounds wrong. Bye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keep on keeping on. Yes. So it sounds like the bug is not interested in having children, which, you know, I can respect that. That's what people don't want to do. As long as you got a spouse that, uh, you know, agrees with that, hey, it's your life. As, yes. As bon, Jovi, as bon Jovi would say. Yeah. With his <laughs> soccer mom hair. <laughs> yes. He does have soccer mom hair. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> hard to take a guy serious when they have soccer mom hair that 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 middle-aged rocker hairdo is really gone too far it's like the uh it's it's almost like the uh the kate uh the kate uh goslin hair that's what it sort of is like yeah no it's ridiculous it's fucking nonsense man <laughs> just cut your hair or just grow your hair i mean come on this just stop using so much product when you're in your 40s and 50s <laughs> jesus i haven't put product in my hair in about you know 10 years i haven't put product in my hair in like 10 minutes so, <laughs> and I'm just sitting in front of a computer. Yes. <laughs> Getting all guidoed up over here. <laughs> all right, next voicemail. Gentlemen's Guide to Midnight Cinema. This is Dr. Zom. And I'm calling because this week you were reviewing two movies for very different reasons that are near and dear to my heart. One is Bad Boys. I uh, remember seeing this when I was uh, very young, uh, and it was pretty rough for the time. Haven't seen it in a long time, and I'm sure it probably still is a little rough, as it has to do with uh, ugly-ass Sean Penn going to the boys' <laughs> prison. And this movie, no matter what anybody says about it, no matter what... Uh, scenes that they remember the most the scene that I remember the most which I have mentioned many times on this show is the booger picking scene Um, being raped in prison probably would be the worst thing that could happen but having somebody shove a big booger in your food uh, definitely uh, ranks up there with some pretty pretty, uh, uh, horrible things yeah uh, the other one is North Dallas 40, written by uh, Pete Gent, former Dallas Cowboy. Uh, and if you want to find out the real story of North Dallas 40, uh, pick up the book, Cowboys Have Always Been My Heroes, The Definitive Oral History of America's Team. Uh, this book is basically written about um, uh, the team from its inception to its time at the Cotton Bowl uh, before it went really corporate. And you got uh, Dandy Don in there, Lance Rensel, Bob Hayes, Pete Gent, some good stuff. Uh, talks about the racism in football and just lots of good stuff, uh, you know. So anyway, check that one out. The other one is uh, also by Pete Gent, uh, which is called North Dallas After 40. Uh, it's a good book. Uh, picks up where the movie left off, and you get to find out what happened to some of the boys. And other than that, uh, uh, for uh, Dennis Hopper, a little tribute to Dennis Hopper since he passed away by Chris Chris Christopherson. There we go. Get it up. See him wasted on the sidewalk in his jacket and his jeans, wearing yesterday's misfortunes like a smile. Once he had a future full of money, love, and dreams, which spent like they was going out of style. <laughs> and he keeps right on a-changing for the better or the worse. 
searching for the shrine he's never found. Never knowing if believing is a blessing or a curse, or if the going up is worth the coming down. He's a poet, he's a picture, he's a prophet, he's a pusher. He's a pilgrim and a preacher and a problem when he's stoned. He's a walking contradiction, partly truth and partly fiction, taking every wrong direction on his lonely way back home. <laughs> he got a lot of wrong directions on that lonely way back home. Rest in peace, Dennis Hopper. You know, it's interesting... Um uh, not to make light of uh, Dennis Hopper's passing, obviously, but uh, you could actually thank that song for Clancy Brown's character in Bad Boys, too. <laughs> yes, it certainly can. It certainly can. Yeah, so he, I think, he just misunderstood. That song? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I think Clancy Brown's character just misunderstood in Bad Boys. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. No, but uh, wasn't that song used in Cisco Pike? Or was um, it from another film? I think so. I think so. I'm not real positive. I'm not real positive on that Uh a little early for me to kind of recollect that kind of uh, trivia this morning. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks, Doc. Uh, good stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I, ne- I never have actually read the book uh, about North Dallas Forty about the Pete Gent book. Uh, I think I'm going to check it out though because uh, you know you guys heard how I felt about the film. So yeah, I think I will too, Sammy. If I remember, um, it's just it's. I love reading a lot of that fascinating stuff. Then uh, you pull the curtain back. So I guess it's right up to probably the mid '60s. Um, the Cotton Bowl they played what to the early '60s or mid '60s somewhere like this, something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. I can't, I can't recall. Again, too early for me to recall too much information. <laughs> yes, I'm glad we record in the mornings. All right, uh, yes. next voicemail. This is the last one. Here's from Rach. She sent this just a little while ago. Here we go. Hi guys, it's Rach from Rach on Film, or um, now the Girls on Film Radio podcast. Just sending some feedback for the last Train to Prio um, review that you guys did. I'm going to start with some of the questions that you guys had for me. Um, Trev's beanie with a tank top. You have no idea how often I see that. It wasn't for the cold. It was kind of a fashion statement. If you have a look, the other characters were enclosed that indicate around 25 to 20 degrees Celsius. Um, Trev was wearing it because he's a bogan. Bogans are Australian rednecks, sort of. Uh, the coldest it gets um, is at night in winter, and it can hit zero degrees, and it doesn't get anything lower than that, and it never snows. Um, I do catch the train. Uh, Lisa gets on at my stop, um, which is Bayswater. I get off at Claremont. Um, although I used to live in Fremantle, so I've caught the train the entire way before. Um, there is definitely a city ele- element, uh, especially on the train line. There's There's been a number of attacks on the train uh, recorded by uh, the... They have cameras in them. And um, people have been beaten to d- close to death um, while other people just sat and let it happen. There was once a time when the cameras um, picked up a couple of kids torturing and murdering a kitten. They set fire to it. So yeah, there is two security guards on every train during the evening trips. Although I'd say Transperth is more concerned with um, checking that everyone's bought a ticket instead of safety. Um, 
the train station with the cemetery, it's, there's two. Um, Karakata station um, is at the opening of the cemetery um, and Lock Street is probably the one that had the clear view um, and it is directly across the road. Um, as for the actual uh, review, I really like the way Will talked himself into a better impression of the film. <laughs> at the beginning of the review he says, um, there's more negative in this review than positive. And at the end he says, there's more positives than ne- negatives and I recommend checking it out. But I'm happy with the review. Um, I suggested it to find out how people outside of Australia receive it. Um, I live here, so I, n- I just needed to know how biased I am. I'm sorry that Will didn't get as much out of it as me or Sammy, but um, I still really enjoyed your review. So thanks very much. All right. See you later. All right. That was the one and only Rach. Um, yeah. The, I'd rather really not talk about some of the thuggery that goes on those trains. That's just awful, especially that one little comment there. I heard you say something while she said it. Yeah, I, I just they should have trap doors. So if these fuckers are doing anything, trap door opens, they get run over immediately. The uh, yeah, and the, you know, there, there's a name for that, isn't that the Kitty Genovese syndrome? They call that where people where something's going on and nobody does anything, something like that. I, I just can't believe that. That's just disgraceful. I mean, I, I if you're a grown man, you, you should be doing. Something. I mean, I understand if you're a 75 year old woman, right. you know, maybe that's a little more justifiable. But if you're a grown man and you see a woman getting attacked or a boy or a child or or, you know, someone helpless, man, it's, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to turn into that show, but, yeah. you know, you kind of got to help people out. But Yes. And <sighs> even me, not a cat fan, but if I see somebody torturing a kitten, uh, well, you know, I'll just I'll just run the risk to see what it's like to actually hit a child. <laughs> I know it sounds yeah, awful well, to say, but I uh, would. I'd, I'd punch the little kids in the fucking throat. And I, Yeah, I wouldn't hold back. Believe me. <laughs> Believe me. I would, there'd be no pulling the punch, but... Uh, as for the review, uh, I found it funny that I said one thing at the beginning and the opposite at the end. Um, uh, Rach, I, I want again. I'm, I'm, I hope you understand that. Uh, I want you to call next year with another pick, you know, yes. because it's important. I, I'm glad I saw the film. There's a lot of great stuff in it. Some of it I didn't like, but yeah, I think it's interesting. She brings up a good point how a bias we can be from a territorial standpoint. Uh, there's things that are Canadian that I probably love more because they're Canadian and everyone seems to fawn over them right. internally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, she brings up an interesting point there. And I also want to say, I want you to check out their podcast. I know they're having a bit of uh, sound issues, but there's a lot of uh, good in the podcast uh, to be yes. sure, which we'll mention here in a minute. Yes. And uh, yeah, to, to give you guys kind of an idea of what it's like in Canada, I mean, you ride the train there and there's uh, syrup on tap. It, I mean, it's, it's at every seat. You have a, a maple syrup tap. And the seat opens up, and there's pancakes in it. There's waffles. They're fresh because there's a heating element below each seat uh, that allows them to stay warm for people. Yeah, right, because it's cold up there, right? I mean, it's the North Pole. It's, it's snow there 12 months a year. <laughs> 12 months a year. And also, just to, one more thing, to give everyone the math on what she'd said. Uh, I think she said it gets uh, most days are about, she said about 20 or 25 Celsius, which Sammy is about... Uh, 70 to 80 Fahrenheit, okay. and zero Celsius is 35 Fahrenheit, which is freezing for you guys, right? Uh, yeah, close. I think 32 is actually 32? freezing. Yeah. So that's yeah. So that's thir- it's 32. I'm sorry. So it's you know to give you the perspective uh, on the, the changeover. 
It gets a lot colder here than that. I know it gets a lot colder there than that. <laughs> yeah. In Canada. So it gets pretty cold down here in Kentucky too. But uh, yeah, it's just interesting. Uh, she answered a lot of her questions, but uh, honestly, uh, I have a different kind of, uh, now I see the film, you know, might have a little bit more base in reality. I really had no idea because, you know, as a, uh, a citizen of the United States, I've always heard that Australia is this, uh, uh, kind of a, you know, place with no ghettos, no problems and stuff like that. I guess, uh, you know, you really do believe what the media tells you sometimes, you know? Yes. Kind of crazy. Uh, you know, it's always that way. I mean, you know, like, you know, they tell, uh, you know, the stereotype here in Kentucky is everybody wears overalls and has no teeth. And while that is true in certain areas, only because of poverty, not because people choose to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do have my overalls on right now. So <laughs> without, without a shirt, I'm Hillbilly yes. Jim, Hillbilly Jim there. <laughs> Don't go messing with the country, boy. <laughs> all right. That is all the feedback, Large William. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into our pleasantries. Yes. Uh, where are we here? Just about sacked myself with my microphone. That would have been great. <laughs> um, okay, so check out our sister shows, uh, OTC, CD, and Show Show. Check out Family Movie Night. Again, hundredth, uh, one year of doing this, so whether it's just passed or it's coming, congratulate them, please. Uh, movie Meltdown, Chinsuga versus Punner. All of our friends over at Pop Syndicate, including, of course, the Big Red Podcast. We neglect a lot. I neglect a lot. Uh, Paleo Cinema, uh, Cinecultania. Are, are they back up yet, uh, Sammy? Uh, no, uh, they're still, uh, they got school and jobs and they've just had some issues kind of scheduling, I believe, right now when I talk to yeah. Ben. I think Ben's going to be on the show pretty soon, though, because he's kind of having, yeah. having a hankering to do some podcasting. So I think he, he might be the next one that comes on the show. That'll be good. Uh, of course, Cinerama, Action Attraction, uh, Better in the Dark, Good Friends in Brooklyn, um, Tom and Derek, uh, V Cinema Podcast, uh, Destroy the Brain, the aforementioned Girls on Film, which is Rach's podcast. She just did one with Emily, Christine, and I also couldn't make out her friend's name, where they reviewed Martyrs and Predator. Which <laughs> yeah, that's, De- that's Deb. Deb. Okay, yeah, Deb. so there was some good stuff in there. <laughs> yes. I really liked it. I, admittedly... The audio, the the heavy breathing, and the Pringles can ping pong uh, could be frustrating, but everyone, please look past that because there's a lot of good meat in there uh, that the girls talk about, and I know it's something to get better uh, from an audio quality standpoint. So a lot of, a lot of good meat in there. That's that's the <laughs> that sounded terrible. I mean, in, from a, a audio. Hey, ladies. Film, yeah, from a film. Uh, review or commentary standpoint. Yes, nice. Now, I'm sure they understand, but I just <laughs> I love saying that because I can just hear Emily and Rach and them laughing and Christine's yeah. stuff. Like, you guys got a lot of nice meat over there at the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Gore Press Gorecast. Uh, of course, check out the Glee cast. I'm only an episode behind. I just heard the one about uh, the wheelchair guy. Um, oh, yeah, with the safety dance so. number. Uh, now, Will, I know you don't yes. really care for Glee, uh, Glee that much, but you had to admit the safety dance number was pretty good. It was good to the point. I'll be honest. That's been my favorite episode that I've watched so far. I think that guy is my favorite character. Um, mm-hmm. My wife doesn't really care for him, but I like him. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I've always, uh, of course, I'm, as a guitar player, I always kind of laugh at when he starts picking up the guitar because he's, <laughs> it's not very legitimate <laughs> what he's playing there. But either way, uh, I kind of look over that and stuff. But uh, out of all the dance numbers I think I've seen on Glee, I think the safety dance number with him has been my favorite so far. And they mention it on their their show. The editing is fantastic when it cuts back to what's you know the reality. Yeah, um, certainly a highlight of the show. Yeah, and I, I mean I don't know anyone's name to the point where I was calling Finn Jinx for some reason. 
to my wife. I'm like, where's Jinx or <laughs> Hawk or, you know, just stupid, uh, you know, whatever. Huck, but Huck uh, and Finn and Jinx. <laughs> Jinx. Where's this fucking Jinx? Um, so anyway, check that out. Uh, Dylan and Christine over at Paracinema, paracinema.net. It's your good friend Mike, who should be back from uh, visiting the mouse. Uh, Nightmare Theater dot blip or Nightmare Theater TV mm-hmm. or commentary dot com. Um, bloggies, we have Pickle Loaf, Lightning Bugs Lair, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, uh, Death Rattle Thirteen, Naked Eskimo, This Is Quiet Cool, Heaven's Trash, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, The Man on the Scene in the West Coast, our West Coast correspondent, Spit Knowledge, and interviews. Uh, at a very consistent clip. Yeah. Uh, uncool Cat. Sorry? No, I just said, yeah, Rupert is a spitter. Uh, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with him. Check <laughs> <laughs> uh, out Rach on Film. Of course, that's R-A-C-H on Film. Uh, Dear Bastards or Big Suck Loser. And then in, in terms of other things, Cinema Day Bazaar. That's Cinema-DE-Bazaar. They just have a, a fantastic uh, uncut, remastered, collector version available of Giallo a Venezia, which we're going to be covering on the show sometime this year. Um, so check it out. And of course, promo code gentlemen for 10% off yep. podcast. Alley, we finished real strong and the last day of voting, we got 17 votes. Um, so we, we ended up finishing second overall. If you combine the two uh, listings that they still inexplicably have for us, um, iTunes reviews, be nice to get some of those. Facebook, friend us both, join the group. Uh, follow Semi on Twitter at twitter.com backslash ggtmc. That's the first time I haven't mucked that one up. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the donate button if you wish to throw a few pesos in our pockets so we can get the show going. As far as T-shirts, I'm going to be working on some research for that this weekend. So hopefully next time we record, we'll have an announcement. It's just It was a really hectic week for me with weddings and car situations. So. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely uh, donate to the show if you get a chance. Uh, we could really use the help. So, hate to beg, I'm not begging. I'm just saying we could really use it, uh, especially like I say, going into maternity and paternity or whaternity, whatever, <laughs> eternity uh, <laughs> issues that uh, I'm getting ready to go into here yeah. uh, very soon. Uh, the due date actually officially is June 29th. I've always told you like the end of June, but it's officially June 29th. So as you can see, it's it's literally right around the corner. And I just accidentally found an actor whose real name is Huckleberry Fox. That's incredible. Is he a porn actor? No, he's not. Uh, evidently, he was in uh, Terms of Endearment. I'm just kind of surfing the internet while you're talking. It's so weird. What a name. Huckleberry Fox. Huck Fox. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, <Betty> Huckleberry Fox. <laughs> yeah, it would be easy to muck that one up. All right. Uh, so next week, we uh, decided to do something. Now, now, if you guys, you guys have been listening to the show for a long time, uh, know that when Paul Newman died, we said, hey, let's do a Paul Newman show. Uh, you know, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we should do it. We were so excited about it. And we still haven't done it. So that tells you, you know, how our planning goes pretty well. But this time, we're going to avoid that altogether and make our next show all about Dennis Hopper. So, uh, Will, I'll let you go ahead and talk about your pick, and then I'll talk about mine. Yeah, okay. Uh, my film is uh, a Vim Vendor's film. Um, it is, uh, if you speak German, and my German, of course, isn't what it used to be. Achtung, it's, baby! It's, yeah, it's Der Amerikanski Freund, or The American Friend, uh, with uh, Bruno Ganz, of course, he of Hitler fame. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Unfortunately. That, that being playing the role of Hitler in Downfall. 
uh, and Dennis Hopper. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I picked it up on a box set a while ago. I've never seen it, but on Zom's recommendation ages ago, I was like, man, this movie sounds too cool for school. So I got it. That's my Hopper pick. Uh, what is your Hopper pick? My Hopper pick is, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but I've had this film for a long time. Uh, I've seen it a couple times. Uh, I found it very interesting. Uh, it's directed by Dennis Hopper. It's a second directorial film. It's from 1971. It's called The Last Movie. And uh, it stars Hopper, Thomas Millian, uh, Sam Fuller, Sylvia Miles, Tony Basil of All Mickey, You're So Fine fame. Yeah. Uh, good, uh, interesting film. Uh, so uh, I wanted to say, have never, you ever, you've never seen it? No, I've never seen it, man. I've always wanted to, though. Okay, good. So this is this should be fun. This is uh, Hopper during the height of his uh, drug-induced insanity. So uh, mm. you should we should have a lot to talk about. <laughs> Million and Hopper, I cannot fucking wait. <laughs> yes, it's pretty pretty good stuff. Okay, so uh, that's what we'll be covering on my side. 1971 is the last movie, so should be a lot of fun. Yes, it should. We'll have a good time. All right, uh, so that is our show for this week. Uh, let me cue up the outro music here, and and we'll uh, we'll play it out. All right, everybody. Uh, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema.com at gmail.com 